Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Read A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 131, Catalan 3 in a Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. The big parlay. This is it. Parlay. It's a parlay partay. Parlay vu <laughs> Stanley? Stanley. Parlay vu Stanley? I don't know. I do you speak I do, spe- do you do speak you Stanley? Stanley? God. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> hello. We're here. We're here at the parlay. We're ready to rendezvous. Uh, this chapter's kind of fun. It, it's not there are some really great deep things in it, but it's also kind of fun. It's just like a fun, stupid chapter in some aspects. I just stupid, yeah. I mean, it's a great uh, chapter, but the hijinks that go on are stupid. <laughs> yes, we are all Catelyn Stark in this chapter as these Baratheon men buck antlers, right? And right. I don't know. I think we're going to have fun. We're all Catelyn Stark as surprised Pikachu watching. Like, why? is happening <sighs> we will be putting out a patreon episode this month for our patrons and the stranger tier and above it is likely going to be on a free city so stay tuned as we chit chat about that and we'll let you know when it's going to come out and next month will of course be a his dark materials themed episode so that will be announced too in the future stay tuned for that everything is in the future uh, it's all another in the future. thing yeah, another thing that's in the future, but with a set date, is this month's Discord brunch slash happy hour yes. will be yes. on Sunday, July 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. Moved up the time a little. And it is open for patrons $10 and above in our Thunder Tier and above. Uh, who, I mean, if you're, you're a Thunder Tier patron, then you have access to the Discord just in general. I love brunch with our patrons. It's silly sometimes. Sometimes it gets serious, but like in a good way, right? We we honestly, we have so many yeah. people that are just open to being vulnerable and chatting about their life and making friends. And we have such a good bunch for brunch. A bunch for brunch. <laughs> That's the last A Game of Thrones book. No, I'm just kidding. A bunch for brunch. Wow. <laughs> we do brunch. games, giveaways, oh get God. to know yous. We'll talk about the theme this month a little later i think maybe next week we'll chat about the theme give you some ideas of what's to come but it's gonna be really fun i've heard a little bit no spoilers about it and it's gonna be so fun and we just always like to play games and get to know yous and we do a giveaway every month if you come you are eligible for some fun free fandom stuff so come hang out with us it'll be good i promise it will be good and of course last last week of this month as the last week of every month we will be doing an episode of the amber spyglass and our first we we just finally started the amber spyglass so if you haven't caught our first episode of that check it out it's on our uh you know everywhere that our podcasts are uh we'll we'll go over that list at the end of the episode (laughs) we're not gonna do it now (laughs) we're not ready we're not prepared for that (laughs) i'm not i'm not in the mental state to it We really got to get in that state. But, you know, if you have not read His Dark Materials, highly recommend it. I had not read it. Eliana had. She got me into it. We have covered Northern Lights, The Golden Compass, the first book, The Subtle Knife, the second book, series one and two of the 
His Dark Materials HBO BBC adaptation. We've also covered a bunch of the novellas from The Outer World, and we're working on The Books of Dust. We finished La Belle Sauvage recently. So if you're a diehard His Dark Materials fan, or if you're looking for a new story to read, you know, uh, check it out. Check out His Dark Materials. I think you'll like it, and come hang out with us and listen there, too. Yeah. All right. Eliana, we have emails, tweets, comments, reviews, whatever you want to call them of note. A little housekeeping up top. We're going to get through it. I have to bring this up because last week you brought up such a stellar, amazing point from our patron and friend, luminary friend Maddie, who has just great thoughts on A Song of Ice and Fire. She talked a lot about the crowns last episode and some of the analysis on them. Today, Maddie once more brought me something beautiful entertaining, wondrous, which is instead of let's get physical, the song, let's get Oedipal, Oedipal, about, you know, like men and cattle and Stark. So that was it. That was all I had to offer for our emails, tweets, comments of note today. But let's get Oedipal. Let's get Oedipal. We are going to get a little Oedipal. I mean, not maybe not too much, but but a little. But eventually, eventually. Yeah. And so, once again, I've brought us something that is neither an email nor a tweet of note. <laughs> Not even a comment or a review. It wasn't, it wasn't even about us, you know? Um, <laughs> it does feel like it is. Well, I mean, I'll it, it was it out there. It's related in a way in that we are talking about these chapters. Well, it wasn't about us, but it, uh, I found a thread on Reddit by user Unholy Sin, spelled C-I-N, and um, about what are... Renly's motivations for wanting to become king. And also the user called out that, oh, it is weird, right? That Renly thought Barrison would show up for him, which I agree, as, as we discussed last time. And I have new thoughts about that, and we can discuss that later this episode. I do too. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm excited. Like, we, again, I'm a different person from when we covered Barristan two years ago. And that's one that I would love to revisit one day. I, mm. I say that about every POV. But... <laughs> I Don't might reread me. this someday. I, <laughs> what's what's rereading? Who who rereads uh, books? That's stupid. Um, anyway, so one of the top comments in this Reddit thread was from user Prize Loss, and I thought it was like a really interesting breakdown in the context of the trauma that Renly suffered at Storm's End that we were discussing last week. Mm-hmm. And so, in response to Unholy Sin's question of, "Do the books ever give us an indication of when and how Renly decided he should be king?" Prize Loss says at first. In the books, he has no serious issue with Joffrey being king. It is Cersei who he has an issue with, as he believes that she is a danger to either his life or power. He seems happy for Ned to be Joffrey's regent if it means Cersei is out of the picture. Ned rejects this offer, but Renly pleads that Cersei is the real threat to the both of them. But Ned ignores this offer. Renly, hearing that Ned intends to support the queen, as Ned does not reveal to Renly his own plans. Typical. Leaves the capital. <laughs> Ned is shortly arrested, which would confirm in Renly's head that Cersei truly is a threat to him. From Renly's POV, Ned was actually being loyal to Cersei, and still ended up imprisoned and eventually executed. This is later confirmed in Renly's conversation to Cat. Renly is ordered to the capital at the end of A Game of Thrones, or face being attainted, and so Renly has three logical choices at this point. 
One, go to the capital and hope he does not share Ned's fate. Two, do nothing and allow all his prospective allies to swear allegiance to the new king. Three, rebel and try to convince as many lords as possible to do the same. It is also important to remember that Stannis only rebels after Renly and Rob have already done so. He was not an option for Renly at the time he was crowned. The same lords who liked Renly and would be happy to rebel for him may not have felt the same for the unpopular Stannis. The same lords who know Renly would listen to them and could compromise while he was king, thus rewarding their support, probably knew that he was not as likely with Stannis on the throne. Renly is motivated by two things, survival and ambition. Supporting Stannis does not fulfill either, as Stannis would not gain the same support his younger brother could. I will add also that is not in this uh, comment. I don't remember if it was brought up later in the thread that, that adds, um, not only is Ned taken, right, but Robert's bastards start coming, start Out of the getting murdered. <laughs> yeah, start yeah. getting murdered. So yeah. that, that adds to, I think, some of that case of what yeah. uh, Prize Loss says. I think that's great because Renly does feel fear, right? He sees Cersei as a threat. And I think there's a lot there, too. I mean, uh, we'll talk a little bit later about how there's a lot of, is it Watsonian? Is it Doyleist when it comes to Renly? We just don't fucking know. <laughs> like, George puts some, uh, it's not a POV character, right? Like, it's some really yeah. interesting thread work. Like, it leaves a lot to the imagination. And I think there's a lot of people that project heavily onto Stannis and, like, his thoughts and ambitions and what he might be and his pain about Robert. And I think something really strong that we're going to talk about today, something that I... I'm not being a Renly apologist, first of all. I hear all of you at home right now. I hear it. I hear you. I know you're sitting there thinking Chloe's about to Renly apologize. No, I would never <laughs> apologize for a man. That's ridiculous, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I, I just think that there's a lot for Renly in Robert and in Stannis that we mm -hmm. see in this chapter. And you can see uh, Renly acts like a little shit many times in this chapter, but Stannis his rage and his fury and his storm, so to speak, in this chapter it is unmatched by anyone else in the chapter, as Catelyn is a kind of a passive POV at many points. And yeah. I think that like you can see both of the effects of Stannis and Robert on Renly and wanting to live up to that, wanting to be better than both of them. You know, wanting to have, as Danny would say, wanting to have a beautiful kingdom full of happy people. Uh, I mean, like, yes, his his stupid rich ambitions aren't always awful. Like, he does want peace. It's just he's not willing to work toward it. As you said, I mean, both of them are dumb. Both. Yeah. Nobody looks good in this chapter except for Catelyn. <laughs> One person looks good in this chapter. And... I, I just think it's so interesting to, to think about it. I think this chapter really highlights the ambition motivation for Renly more. But mm -hmm. I mean, as you're talking about in terms of Stannis and Robert and that survival, like, I can see why Renly would be like, I don't think Stannis is able to to protect me. I mean, he couldn't he even feed me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he he. I think maybe sees Stannis as a failed protector in that aspect. And like, this is the channel that he knows for protection, right? Of, well, mm -hmm. we just got to rebel and protect ourselves because that's what Robert had to do, right? And he sees maybe parallels between what was happening to Robert um, in terms of a, a tyrant coming for Robert's mm -hmm. head and fears I'm next when he sees Baratheon bastards 
getting off you know yeah. like these kids you'd look like him Blackfires. getting chased like chased yeah and it's like all right i mean we don't get that perspective as you said we don't see any of that but like if if it's like that at all it makes sense that this is the pattern it's so interesting you just said that because the golden stag that joffrey takes versus i, I was thinking the black stag is what's normal Right? Like, they're the black oh. stags of the House Baratheon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joffrey takes the golden stag, which is that inverse. Because I was thinking, like, doesn't that mean Robert's bastards are the true black stags because they're black of hair? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I think this is part of why, and I obviously don't believe this in foil. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people think that Renly is uh, Robert's bastard. And I'm like, no, that makes, that, that, that that's that just makes- unnecessary. It just adds a layer that at this point wouldn't help. You know what I mean? Like, not in a bad way, but it's like, we already have enough bastards for Robert, and that doesn't make me care anymore about dead Renly. Yeah. Same. Well, he's not dead yet. He's not dead yet. No, he's not. Not until next week, you know? Next week, Renly dies. Mark your calendars, everyone. Uh, It'll be a, a, a sappy had. It will be a mediocre day. When Renly dies. It'll be a day. I mean, like, a lot of things happen because of it. It's, yeah. It should be sad for Stannis, but who knows? All right. Bring on your storm, Eliana. Let's talk about what we missed in the lightning round. Yeah. We start off with John 3. The watch lands at Crasser's Keep, the best Airbnb in the north, where they <laughs> learn that Vance is gathering at the Frostvigs. Theon, too. Theon meets a woman named Eskred who later transforms into his worst nightmare, Balin's favorite child. Let's get Edible. Edible. I mean, it's not quite, but it's close. It's close, though. We're getting closer to some Edible action. Yeah. Tyrion 6. Tyrion informs the queen that the Baratheon brothers rage and then decides (laughs) he should poison his sister. He gets whole shit. Tons of work done the next day, including taking Pysel into custody. Arya 6. Eight days pass before Arya and her group are taken to Harrenhal to serve under Tywin. Daenerys 2. Daenerys' arrival to Karth is cause for celebration. And Danny gets to pop bubbly twice when she finds out that Robert Baratheon is dead. News travel so slow. I know, right? Especially to the East. Mira 4. No, Mira 4. You wish. You wish. (laughs) I wish, bitch. I wish so hard. Bran 4. Mira and Jojen accompany Bran in the Godswood, where Jojen reveals his green dreams of Bran, as well as pushing him to share his. Maester Lewin tells Bran Jojen is full of beans. (laughs) Full of beans. You're welcome. (sighs) Tyrion 7. Tyrion is wakened by Lancel. Who demands Pycelle be released and Jocelyn Bywater be arrested for his queen. Tyrion then immediately realizes that Lancel is fucking Cersei and hires <laughs> Lancel as a spy before going to see the chick that he is fucking. I appreciate Let's that Tyrion is straight up like Dennis from Always Sunny about D, right? Like, there's no way anyone would fuck sweet D. What? <laughs> <laughs> straight up what Tyrion says. He's like, oh, you're fucking her. Huh, that has to be it. <laughs> That brings us to Arya 7. A girl works in the Wailing Tower and gets a fairy godmother to assist in her survival, which I really want 
a bippity boppity boo Jack and Hagar like song now. Now that I say that, <laughs> is that has someone made that? I'm gonna make someone it should now. Make it. You should trademark yeah, copyright <laughs> dibs <laughs> dibs. <laughs> That's you. And that brings us here to Cat Three. Catelyn hopes to make the Baratheon brothers see reason, but ends up a semi-hostage by the end, waiting in prayer before seeing the huge battle take place. <sighs> asterisk, 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 Renly die. <laughs> yes. Battles in our hearts. Oh, the battles, the friends we made along the- The Stark Love faction has finally arrived here to the Baratheon parlay. They show up in a grassy area, peppered with the stubs of tree trunks, because of course that's where Stannis's men have made their war weapons, their sieges, their rams, you know, because men and sexual and war. Anyways, Catelyn wonders if Ned had rested here when he lifted the siege mm-hmm. of Storm's End, and she thinks of it as his greatest, most bloodless victory, which in my head, I'm like, Tower of Joy? Just kidding, that wasn't bloodless. God's grant, I shall do the same, Catelyn prays. I've seen a lot of speculation, maybe this grove could have once held weirwoods. Uh, which makes that idea of Ned stopping and resting here so sad. You know, like, what if Aww. what if we could get a little spy moment seeing him in the Weirwoods before the battle? Yeah. I do love that, that you know, call out that you made of her thinking, like, is this something I can share? A memory that I can piece together of my husband? I also thought that the usage of the word bloodless here regarding Ned's victory was really interesting, considering that the actions soon after lead toward a regime change as as Robert Baratheon becomes king, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, the whole war itself is not bloodless. And, th- and I mean, like, is that like speaking to something in the next chapter? Though I would argue that's not really bloodless either. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it, it, it just kind of like reminded me a little of the language used for the glorious revolution of 1688 which is also sometimes called the bloodless revolution in which james ii or the seventh of scotland um was replaced by his brother by his daughter mary ii and william the third of orange and you might know them as the namesakes of the college of william and mary that is them anyway so Afterwards, there was like a convention parliament, which is kind of, I guess, something like a great council that established them as monarchs when James like left, and then they stayed on as a proper parliament and a bill of rights was put together. And also, interestingly, in terms of other bloodless revolutions, sometimes the election of 1800 in the United States is considered a bloodless revolution because it was like a power, like a shift in power peacefully from one person to the next or ruler, if you will. But anyway... Uh, that, that word choice kind of just stuck out to me, considering that, uh, first of all, Robert's Rebellion, very much not bloodless. I guess maybe that one moment, allegedly, was, uh, was bloodless. <laughs> but, you know, it seems to have created some of those things that the High Lords wanted, right? Maybe not exactly like a parliament, but, but this bloodless revolution in, in real life led to some of those. And I guess it doesn't, it didn't for Robert's Rebellion. They were like, this is totally going to happen. But all the architects who had wanted that ended up, you know... John, I guess, never really ended up going forward with that, and neither did Hoster in that same way. And there's there's also a religious aspect to the Bloodless Revolution, um, you know, that led to the barring of the ascension of any more Roman Catholic monarchs. They're like, we're not doing that anymore. And, you know, the religion of monarchs is a part of this chapter, so. Yeah, that does come to the forefront, especially with the standard bearers and kind of those uh, 
the, the fact that Renly's camp has changed in one way and Stannis is in another, you know, from the traditional mm-hmm. Baratheon path yeah. of war. Yeah. And coming even back to what we were talking about early, earlier with that Reddit thread in the comments, um, something I find so fascinating is it's interesting because this is, of course, would have been around the time Catelyn and Ned got married, which we're going to talk about more here. Like, that includes why she's reminiscing so much about it. She's like, this is when we got married, right after the Battle of the Bells. Uh, it- it's hard not to think about your dead fucking husband then. So, <laughs> you know. But she thinks of this as bloodless, which, interesting, that after this is when he brought home and shed the most blood for her, right? When he brought mm. John into the world, in her eyes. Uh, yes. The bloodless war happened before they were married, before he could cheat on her with his harlot. And it's crazy because John and Joffrey, for example, and the children, I mean, those are examples of Ned's most bloodless wars, right? Mm. That he sacrificed and lied so publicly to stop people from going to war. Catelyn doesn't know how much he lied to stop war from tearing yep. apart Westeros. You know, she doesn't know. She has no clue. But yeah, here she is carrying Ned's torch here in the Stormlands. I think that's really a powerful choice. It is. That's a great point. She is trying to carry his torch here, too. And, you know, as you said, Ned lied about a lot of stuff for, (laughs) to. I mean, yeah, for peace, right? Or the hope of it. And, I mean, it comes back to what we were talking about in that Reddit comment, right? Renly doesn't know. That Ned was just lying because he was like, save the kids. The Northmen thought that Catelyn was mad to come and moderate this debate, uh, and that this fight is nothing of theirs, and Wendell says, I know the king would not wish his mother to put herself at risk, and she sharply tells him we are all at risk, and that she would rather be with her dying father at Riverrun or Winterfell with her sons, but Rob sent her to speak for him, and speak she shall. Again, another super respectful, like, carrying Ned's torch moment. Uh, I think there's so much more alike than we realize sometimes in their motives and goals. I do love that the language specifically calls out that Rob sent her to speak for him and speak she shall, because obviously it's foreshadowing. Someday she'll never speak again. I'm just kidding. I was kidding. I was just r slash shitty movie details. That was mean. That was hurtful. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm hurt. (sighs) When I'm hurt, I lash out. Across the fields and ridges, Catelyn sees storms end against the sky and Stannis' army below. They look small and and insignificant from her vantage point. Agreed. We get a great amount of background on storms end. Durin raised it in ancient days, the very first Storm King, and he won the love of fair Eleni. Daughter of the sea god, goddess of the wind, she had given her maidenhood to a mortal and their love, dooming herself to a mortal's death. Her grieving parents unleashed a wrath of winds and storms to batter Durin's hold, and his friends and brothers and wedding guests were all crushed and blown to sea. So before we go into some of the description of Storm's End, a lot of this really hammers home some parallels here. Right? Ha! The hammers, get it. Between... Arya 7 and Cat 3. Arya's chapter right before this actually begins with the horror of Harrenhal and a description of its towers. Whatever names Harren the Black had meant to give his towers were long forgotten. They were called the Tower of Dread, the Widow's Tower, the Wailing Tower, the Tower of Ghosts, 
and Kingspire Tower. Each of these towers feels pretty loosely important to not just Arya's plot, but kind of related to cats too, right? The Widow, the Wailing, the Wailing Widow, so to say, the Tower of Ghosts, Kingspire, right? Rob. Uh, the sadness that Arya is currently enduring as a child survivor amidst the Lannisters' reign and the mountain and Tywin and Harrenhal, like, not wanting to know the names of the people she serves with because then it hurts worse when they die, mm-hmm. right? Memory, fleeting memory like we experience later with Catelyn, or the way Shella went, which is Catelyn's kinswoman, let the castle go to a rubble and ruined state without repairing it from you know, just living in this very sad, haunting place, which feels a lot like Winterfell about to burn, about to be ruined. And of course, the ghosts of Harrenhal, Heron and his sons, die in the Kingspire Tower. Kind of a pretty big push of what's to come, right? The destruction and death to come, not just to Winterfell, but to the Stark family, as stated here for Cat, right? This right here, Eleni and Duran, the wedding guests and the wedding, they all die. They're all blown out to storm. It's a little pretty perfectly roundabout as foreshadowing. It's it's out there. It's out there. And it comes really perfectly around in Tyrion in his 11th chapter. As Tyrion stands at the helm of King's Landing, George has all these fallen castles come into place just for the stinkiest, grossest, most corrupt, shittiest city to keep on living through it all right? Tyrion only wished he could as easily make city walls twice as tall and three times as thick. Perhaps it did not matter. Massive walls and tall towers had not saved Storm's End, nor Harrenhal, nor even Winterfell. Mm. Yes, the storm at Storm's End, turns out, was in their hearts. (laughs) That's what takes out the Baratheons. Actually, that's a big bummer. Yeah. Duran lives. Duran lives, though. He's the only one, you know? Or, there you go, Dorian. That's pretty oh. similar, too. I didn't hmm. think about that, but I think that's fun that George kind of made the name similar. And, and they're not far, right? I mean, the Dornish marches and the Stormlands are only a, a hair's throw away. But I do think it's intended. I mean, Duran's all that's left, and that's all that's left for Kat right now until, well, when she's gone, too. And then she's still left, but... The other thing I did want to say was, especially because Durin risked it all for Eleni, right? And that's what brings about this whole debacle with the whole killing all the wedding and the blah, blah, blah. Uh, remember our friend Rob, King in the North guy, who risks it all for a Rip. girl? Rip. That feels pointed here. It, it does. But Durin and Eleni have a, a different mythical ending right eleni shelters him with her arms and when the dawn comes he actually declares war on the gods vowing to rebuild but our start clan here right now at least at the time of this podcast 2021 when the winds of winter has still not come out it's coming out next week look under your chairs etc etc but cat and rob don't live they don't get to rebuild right eleni and durin get to rebuild but they don't it's sad it is sad. sad. It's big sad. Well, Durin ends up building like five more castles because each one gets like smashed, but they're sh- shattered in the wind each time once more. His lords plead with him, like, just build it on the land. And his priests, who are assholes, tell him, give Eleni back to the sea. But he doesn't. 
He raises a seventh castle, and some say that the children of the forest helped him build it. Some say that a small boy told him what hmm. he must do, and that that boy grew to be Brand the Builder. But the end of the story uh, was the same throughout all the cultures. The seventh castle stands to fight, and during God's grief, and fair Eleni dwelt together till the end of their days. The gods <laughs> don't forget, sending storms for years, but storms end endured. A castle like no other. You have to love the language George uses there that they endured because it does remind me of the Starks, mm. right? The Starks endured. They always will. Uh, but I do love, especially with their alliance in general, the Baratheons and Starks for Ned and Robert's friendship, at least. That's that's sweet. And I do think there's a lot of uh, interesting, interesting thoughts that could have been the children of the forest or it could have been a boy that grew up to be Bran the Builder. I'm like, is that a Bran? Is that Bran that you? You getting the TARDIS, buddy? You out there? <laughs> I think there's a lot of Bran in this chapter, believe it or not. I, I do. I not trying to be pointed about Bran. I'm just saying that Bran seems to come up in this chapter a couple times, not just here, but even later. Hmm. He does he does come up quite a few times. It is interesting. Now, out of the wonderful story is the real storm's end. It's a hundred foot high curtain wall, round, smooth, with no angle or gap for the wind to enter, 40 feet thick at its narrowest, 80 feet on the face with sand and rubble in its core, as well as rocks. Within that was the kitchen, stables, and yards, and a colossal drum tower with massive battlements, barracks, and the granary. The feast hall and lord's dwelling are within as well, crowned, looking like a spiked fist atop uh, an upthrust arm, and I'm like, is that not the description of the mountain's helm? Like, it is, is. isn't there, like, a tiny little fist on it? Which I'm just like, why? Yeah. Hilarious. That's interesting, though, because we did have Arya and Harrenhal, right? With the Mountains oh, yeah. men. Uh, and I do have to say that's also how it's described in Austin Powers' gold member about uh, Mini-Me. That's how his penis is described in oh. Austin Powers. They're like, it's like a hand. It's like a adult arm holding an apple. So it could be that, too. Oh, if you want to. Uh, it it just could be. Uh, no, it, no. I think that is a mountain helm <laughs> reference, though. I really do. I think it's a. It feels like or it. Or people will. Maybe people just like are really into that design. You know, it could be. I mean, it means maybe, power, right? Or, or maybe, yeah. The mountain thought that's really cool when he saw Storm's End once and was like, "I want that." Like a tribal on, tattoo. On helm. Yeah, or something. Yeah, actually, though. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> seems like him. Um. So I, I do think that it's interesting that this is the chapter, and, and I mean, what else would they bring it up, especially because it's our first time there, right? That we get all this uh, background story on the creation of Storm's End, because not only is there like all of this about the, the gods, right, which helps create some of that world building, that mythology of the world of ice and fire, but I think it really gives us a little bit of context in which to see these Baratheon brothers, right? They are incredibly stubborn. They're unable to relent to anything, even if the gods damn them. And it not just out of love, but out of pride. And that's what we see in this chapter. Like, no matter who implores them to do anything, neither of them move. I mean, and the gods are gonna damn them, right? The, the gods yeah. damn the Kinslayer. Whatever gods. Any of them. None of them think yeah. it's cool to kill your bro bro it, it's not it is in fact very uncool it is things it is a thing that nerds do very nerds uncool. kill their bros bro <laughs> lame <sighs> i uh. 
this is kind of our best look at Storm's End, right? Some of this imagery is great. This is, uh, besides maybe Fire and Blood, Storm's End, which we get a great, if you haven't read Fire and Blood, there's a really cool battle that happens there during the Dance of the Dragons that's expanded on. And it reminds me a lot of a battle in Star Wars, actually. Uh, but it, it, it's really cool and you got to read it. it. It gives some great imagery outside of the drums and the towers. And I really do love this. And since this is kind of the real firsthand experience, I mean, we see it through Davos very briefly and at night, right? We do not get a look at Storm's End. Catelyn gets the first detailed look. And it feels significant that the only other really good look that we get into the Stormlands is actually coming to us in the Winds of Winter eventually through Ariane's POV. Uh, it's another female hmm. political envoy being sent on a mission to decide whether to raise swords for rebellion or whether to stay silent and do nothing. Ariane in the Winds of Winter will be seeking the truth that will lead to more bloodshed or more bloodshed. Um, pick one. You can have either Ariane. The difference, I guess, is of course how both of them embrace these situations. Both of them have knowledge and have information and have been informed with, well, they have personal grudges and false knowledge that they have built a few of their opinions on, right? Uh, for Ariane, she is looking for Aegon and Quentin's usurping in her mind, which isn't real, it's fake, but Quentin's usurping is actually what's going to kind of lead to her doom in the story, right? What's going to have her pick the thing. For Catelyn, she's following Liza's trail. Liza's lies, so to speak. And of course, especially with Rob, the one thing she can't let go is Jon Snow's possible usurping, right? When we talk mm. about Blackfires. Yes. So both of these women are sent as very smart political envoys, and they do kind of end up uh, meeting a demise in some manners in some of these aspects. They do. I think that's interesting, that that parallel, as you pointed out, that of how we are seeing Storms end both times. Hmm. Yeah, I'm maybe that I, I is am... a hint to us that things might not go good. <laughs> things will probably in women fact who go be to bad. the stormlands. Oh, oh my gosh! Smart bitches in the stormlands. You know what I'm saying? It ain't good. Ain't good, guys. <sighs> well, riders emerge from the camp, slowly coming toward them. It's King Stannis, but not. With the Baratheon standard? Instead, it was bright yellow, but not rich gold like Renly's, with a red device that she cannot quite make out. I love this because the only thing that Renly's kept of the Baratheons is the most powerful thing he knows, the standard, right? People see that and they think of Robert. They think of House Baratheon and their fury and their storm. So I actually kind of love and you won't hear me say this very often in a sentence together, right? Love and Stannis. But I love Stannis's very weird, utilitarian, out-of-place yellow versus Renly's gold Baratheon banner. Like, especially because that's the one thing Renly kept. And that's that's the thing Stannis wanted out of. He's like, put the deer in the middle of the flag. Make it as small as possible. I do not want to see it. I want the flames and the heart. Absolutely. And I actually... You will rarely hear me compliment Stannis's fashion choices <laughs> in terms of like utilitarian, like simple, you know, um, aesthetic choices. His outfit, I actually quite like in this in this episode in this chapter. I like that he picked one piece of statement jewelry. 
right? <laughs> it was the only thing. It was the only fashion choice of his that I will support. I think it's very tasteful. Um, that's just me. No, I, I can't. I, I'm glad we're aligned. You know that I love my statement jewelry. <laughs> I do, and you know what? You like your statement like tops too. You always wear something that's killer. Mm. You know, I, I, and he's actually just like one. I do want to say, Stannis is kind of decked out. We're gonna talk about Stannis's outfit in just a minute because he's actually this is kind of the most decked out I think we ever see him, so to speak. He's very kingly here. It's very surprising, and Renly, King Renly. Sorry, in this chapter, you know, I'm just kidding. It's Lord Renly. He is the last to arrive, and he actually told Catelyn that he would be the last to arrive. He was like. The first person that arrives has to wait for the other. I'm a king. I don't wait. Shut up, Renly. Um, Catelyn thinks it is a sort of game kings play. Well, she was no king, so she need not play it. Catelyn was practiced at waiting. I just want to say, you know, Catelyn may be practiced at waiting, but she's got nothing on us. Uh, you've been waiting so long. Ten years. Anyways... <sighs> <sighs> 2021. Stannis arrives. Catelyn also surveys his crown. Uh, red gold with points fashioned into flames and a belt studded with garnets, yellow topaz, and a great square-cut ruby in his sword hilt. Otherwise, Stannis dresses quite plain, and she can see his banner better now. The crown stag shrunken, surrounded by a blaze of orange fire and a red heart. Is this a metaphor? <laughs> You know, the heart of flame. I mean, I don't know. Who can say? Who could say? Chloe. <laughs> the meme that you posted earlier. If it's a crowned stag and it's tiny, does that mean it's Princess Shireen? Anyways. On fire? In the heart? Anyways. So let's talk about <sighs> this outfit game. Because as we're going to see from Renly soon, they both dress to impress. And I want to start at the crown. Okay. Stannis's crown. Red gold flames. Renly, jade, green, stag, gold roses. Stannis is wearing on his belt garnets that are red, yellow topaz, the great ruby, and his sword hilt. And Renly is wearing black, gold, and green. So these colors are very distinctly different, right? They're not sharing colors together. They don't have, you know, like, Stannis actually isn't wearing, like, black diamonds or anything. That's what Renly's wearing, which is surprising. But they're not sharing colors at all here. They are very distinctly opposite each other. And in this fashion hour, which is where we are, if you didn't guess, that's what we're doing right now, everyone. I don't feel like I even have to announce it anymore. It honestly reminds me a lot of a couple things. But the first thing is Illyrio's rings. That wonderful passage where Illyrio is moving his rings and the many different gemstones are, you know, fluttering in the light back and forth of jade and topaz and opal. These rings are very symbolic of the dance and the dance of the dragons, so to speak. And Illyrio's rings going back and forth, of course, the fighting of the dragons. That's going to happen soon. And I feel like the fact that these are distinctly opposite colors with Renly representing the green of Aegon II and the gold of Aegon II and wearing those black diamonds, but Stannis with his garnets and topaz and the great ruby in his sword, the red, mm. red, red, uh, terrible, red. It, it's just so dance, right? It's so Rhaenyra on Dragonstone versus Aegon II. And it's such a blast that George is actually defining them with this clothing and keeping them so separately apart. 
I also think this is the only time we read about the ruby in Stannis's sword hilt. It's not really described later on through the story as he arrives with his fancy sword places. And it feels really apparent, especially with that focus on religion and Melisandre entering the room, or the room, the outdoors, which is a giant room. But later on, we get that description that the air shimmered as if from heat, just like we hear in many other chapters, like in John's chapters and in Sam's about his sword. That makes me think this is meant to be a glamour on this sword. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. <sighs> just like, I don't know, they're all they're all glamoured in a way. Is that not what it's all about? Maybe the glamours were, I'm sorry. What if the glamours made them shiny? That would be fun. Like vampires in Twilight shit. Yeah, like that. Or like how we ask, where are the glow-in-the-dark snail snail things? Tyrosh. Yes. <sighs> we demand it. Just me. Um... <laughs> Well, I, I think um, I'm going to come back to some of what you were saying about this uh, color color symbolism in a bit. But even stranger than uh, Stannis' new branding is the woman <laughs> that accompanies him, who's carrying his banner, who is a red priestess, a face shadowed in a red deep hood. And then Stannis greets Catelyn with a chilly courtesy. He is balder than she remembers, <laughs> uh, which is interesting of her to call out. And she responds Julie, calling him Lord Stannis, which he does not argue against. This is actually mildly courteous of him compared to what Renly does later. And it's like totally very awkward. Like, okay, Lord Stannis. Hello. Nice to see you. Also, like, of course, you nerds are early for the parlay and Renly's last. Just kidding. Again, mm-hmm. not a Renly apologist. Do not get the idea. I love this exchange. So the exchange. Really. Right. They're having, like, this great exchange. It's like, a, of all the gin joints in the country, you're like, hey, didn't think I'd see you here in these stormlands. It's, like, such an awkward, like, this is great small talk with Stannis Baratheon. <laughs> no one's ever said that. No, and I would not say that after this exchange. I'll never say it again, I promise. <gasps> he does a bad job. <laughs> he does a shit job. His deep-set eyes regarded her uncomfortably. This was not a man made for easy courtesies. He gives his regrets for Ned's death and then immediately says, he was no friend to me. (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, like, Renly did this to her last chapter, like, but in a different way, at least. It wasn't, like, the first thing that he said to her. But I'm like, dude, this is why no one likes you. Like, the first thing out of your mouth was, like, you know... Right after apologizing and giving your condolences, being like, I didn't actually like him. Like, he didn't have to say that. He could have just been like, I'm sorry for your loss, which is what Marjorie did. And that's, like, a completely acceptable way to end that. Yeah. That was fine. That's all you have to say. <laughs> and then it, like, gets worse and more awkward because, like, <laughs> Catherine has, I mean, how's she going to take that lying down, right? Yeah, she it's my husband, dude. To. She yeah. took that dick lying down, so... She's not going to take this lying now. I know, right? Like, she doesn't have to stand for this. And Catelyn gives a little spice back to this, right? She's like, when the Tyrells and Redwines held him, Ned broke the siege and saved your ass. But Stannis is like, that was at Robert's command, not out of love for me. What, you wanted Eddard to Who love cares? you? Is that a ship? Stead? Is that Stead? I think it is. Stedder? I think that is a ship. 
Wow. Stuttered, stuttered. <laughs> Stannon. He does admit. Oh, Nanus. Nas. I can't do it. I don't like that one. No. <laughs> stuttered it is. He admits Eddard did his duty, but then he's like, I did too, though, and I should have been Robert's hand. And Ned took my job. Even if he didn't want it, it was my job. And then he's like, He didn't even <sighs> apply here. Okay. I know. He just thought know. he'd get it because of fucking nepotism right like that's the whole thing that i have a problem with at least renly in this chapter admits like it's not right for either of them to be king but it's better that he should be king like at least renly's like oh i don't believe in any of that secession bullshit i just think i'm the best and i should be king because here stannis is like i'm such a nice guy i'm gonna get justice for you know ned's murder anyway even though he didn't love me what you're not Robert got it on a technicality in his Warhammer, buddy. Come on now. <sighs> I love this line Catelyn thinks, though. She's like, how oh, they love to promise heads, these men who would be king. They don't have to promise her her head, like his, like... That's not what she wants. Any of the Lannister's heads. She, at the very least, they could just not insult her dead husband. That is all I am asking of the Baratheon brothers. Do not insult... Scheme to get the kids back, okay? Like, do that. That's what she wants. Like, right? how is it this hard? Yeah. Do we have to spell it out? Get her kids back, dipshits. There's, the bar is low, and they are all failing. I will say, I, I, you know, they're she's like they love to promise heads. I'm like, Stannis would never promise head. I know Stannis doesn't. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I am glad that Cat does needle him later uh, about all this because you know cat explicitly muses on how renly staying in king's landing uh, may have saved ned's life and frankly i i've said this before the same is the same is true of stannis mm-hmm. right like where the fuck was he during everything like and i get it you know is it rational for either the baratheon brothers to have stuck around and supported ned um if both of them are so motivated by survival right because of what they went through growing up no i guess not but like i like ned and i don't like them Um, (laughs) so you know i don't know and also from cat's perspectives you know yeah she absolutely should begrudge both of them for not standing by ned and supporting him and you know of course yeah robert's also the one who called him south all of them all of them are guilty. All the Baratheon God damn. Hallelujah, sister. I want to just put that out there that hallelujah. Hallelujah, I do, sister. I do like, we, there are good Baratheons. These three are not amongst them. <laughs> no, they are not. And this whole vote Baratheon no matter who bullshit is really getting on my nerves. So hallelujah. Um, she should be grudged. I mean, literally. Also, if they cared that fucking much to be king, then why didn't they fucking stay in fucking King's Landing, okay? Like, if you give a shit about that throne, why did you run and hide in self-preservation? You don't care about what the throne really means. You care about what it could mean for you. Agreed. Agreed. So, that's my thought. There's also, also, of course, right, the irony. The irony of, he's all like, well, Robert wouldn't make me hand, and I'm going to insult your dead husband to your face. And it's like, the dead husband who's the only one who's like, all right, so Stannis is going to be king now. (laughs) And I know that's, I know that's the point. I know that's the point. The irony behind it is the point. But also, and as you said, right, that none of them are doing the right thing for the realm. And that's that's the point, of course, for Stannis' character arc in the end of A Storm of Swords. I get it. I get it. That he finally did a thing But I'm going to be salty. Yeah. I mean, he's salty, so I should be too. And I do think that, like, 
<laughs> that irony is really well set up here. And yeah. even what we commented on earlier, that Renly, you know, Renly didn't actually know what Ned would do, and when Ned did his thing, it looks like he was supporting House Lannister, okay? Our boy had to lie, and I get that. And I get that when characters have to lie and say they support, you know, the Baratheon-Lannister coalition here, and front them as the true kings, as Santa does in the chapter right after this, and people want to bitch about that, like, that's, I mean, they thought that they were doing the right thing. And they had no other choice also. <laughs> like, they, he didn't yeah, have a choice. Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. And, and that's I mean, what I Renly sees, that though. None of them were like, Renly do sees it for that. the kids, you know? They were yeah. like, think of the kids. Ned was like, think of the kids, and no one would think about the kids. Yeah, so. Ned is like, think of the kids, and Renly and Stannis, Stanley, are like, fuck them kids, so. No, they were like, the kids, I'm baby. I'm baby. Stannis at 36 years old. I'm baby. Oh my god, gotta wash that one out of my brain with bleach, Eliana. (laughs) Well, (sighs) Catelyn tells Stannis, Renly promised me, you know, justice for Ned too, all their heads, but I want my daughters back. And leave the justice to the gods. Which he's like, there's only one in his head. Lol. Uh, He says when he takes King's Landing, he'll send her daughters to her. And Catelyn's like, well, what do you plan to do? Like, when is that going to happen? And he says, I need my brother's men in order to win. That's the understatement of the century. Catelyn advises him that those lords swore fealty to Robert and House Baratheon. And if you two would just put your issues aside. But Stannis says he only wants what is his by quote unquote rights. And Renly owes him obedience and loyalty as well as the other lords. Why? Because you kept him alive enough during the starvation. It's not yours by rights. A whole part of the realm came together and backed Robert to take the throne by blood and end oppression. It wasn't by rights. They just justified it by that little cute droplet of Ray Targaryen. No one cares about rights also anymore. Okay, I just want to go back to yeah. that. What rights, Stannis? No one gets rights and you don't deserve them anyway. What is rights? That's not how the throne works anymore. It doesn't. I'm like torn. You know, like for Robert, he was put on there and they did like keep some thread, right? As you said, it is like so tenuous of him being a Targaryen. And I really think what really happened was, you know, there were three three leaders of the rebellion, Ned Stark, Jon Arryn, and Robert Baratheon. And Ned Stark yelled nose game and then he (laughs) got out first and then John Aaron's like oh okay also did it and they're like Robert it's you and Robert was like okay how many bitches do I fuck (laughs) how many bitches do I get to fuck if I take the throne (laughs) I just like that that is the big thing and that's I think that's the problem here yeah what needs to happen is a great council of 298 AC needs to happen and all of these bitches are introverts and lazy and they don't like partaking in their group project and they don't want to do it i am bitches that's me i mean me. john aaron was down to do the group project right and that's why he stuck around with the son that he chose yeah and i mean you know robert was he he was fortunate to have someone that he loved that he knew also loved him santa's mm-hmm. had that but he didn't know with maester crescent as we we find out he's he's blind i think to 
people loving him. And Renly yeah. is the opposite, right? He Crazy. has been showered with love. And yeah, I, I mean, they both do, but uh, yearn for it or showed the yearning for it in different ways. And yeah. it somehow has manifested in both of them. They have both projected everything that they've wanted out of love into, I will get it when I'm king. Being a king will fulfill me. And I'm like... Will it, though? I don't know. Work-life balance, you two. <laughs> but <laughs> before we go on, I, I have to say, like, even just everyone take a moment, close your eyes for a second, and imagine the siege, right? Like, imagine the siege. Imagine the rebellion. Yeah. And even, you know, Courtney Penrose's thoughts and spoken thoughts, I should say, and Donald Noy's thoughts about these characters and Crescent's thoughts. Imagine little Renly stuck in this castle with a little bit older Stanny and Renly's running around going, look at me, look at me. I'm trying to make everyone happy who's starving and on death row right now because they seem to kind of smile at it. And he's taking that validation. Like, I see that, you know, as a kid, he was probably out there trying Mm -hmm. to be friendly with everyone and have a a gregarious time with them. And Stannis, I'm sure, was irritated and trying to, you know, somehow keep everybody alive in the face of his brother off fucking and fighting and celebrated by the towns who hid him. And here Stannis was starving, eating rats and trying to keep his stupid little brother alive that annoys the shit out of him, but somehow entertains everybody else and they love him. I mean, just the same as they loved Robert. I, I see it and I get it. Like, this chapter outlines it so well for you you know it really makes it so that you can fill in the blanks and i do think they both love each other i i think there's a difference they both love each other but they don't like each other and that's that's a thing and Mm -hmm. i might have stolen that from ladybird but (laughs) it's true though (laughs) you know what ladybird will be fine she'll be fine out there in the movie world eliana Well, when we make $3 million off this podcast, we'll let you all know, Ladybird. Well, it's worse, right? Because Stannis actually takes this and he's like cruel and cold and he turns it on her. He's like, why is House Stark here? Who do you mean to give your allegiance to? She responds, her son reigns as king in the north by their people's word and bends the knee to no one, but holds his hands of friendship out to everyone. It was very fun. It's a great PR answer, right? It's total bullshit. Like, she's just like, which one of you is going to give me my girls back, bitch? Stannis says, of course, the most, you know, epic line. Kings have no friends, only subjects and enemies. I say this all the time about me. <laughs> I do actually like this this line a lot. And I have the Sanvixian shirt of it because um, it looked cool. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I, it's funny because news travels slow. It's going to be called out later on. That turns out uh, Catelyn did not get Stannis's letter. Turns out Stannis <laughs> also ha- is behind and hasn't heard what that an entire kingdom is rebelling or two of them. <laughs> so fascinating. Everyone's behind um, here. But coming back to this line, I I find it so important. I think it's it's great. It threads together Stannis's and Daenerys's characters, yes. and especially this big theme that's in the books. We talk a lot about uh, I, you know that. Both of them, both Renly and Stannis yearning for love. But this line uh, speaks to the loneliness of power and monarchy that I think comes through so much in both Stannis and Danny's 
stories because it's very much related to Danny's final Storm of Swords chapter where she asks, do all gods feel so lonely after she takes Marine and she's like on top of the pyramid and and she's thinking it to herself. Who else is she going to voice that out to? And we see Stannis having a lot of moments by himself, not really divulging anything. And we're going to see that also in Kat's storyline as she watches her own son become more and more isolated from her and his subjects. And also, you know, Jane Westerling calls that out too. She's like, yeah. I, I can't comfort him. I can't talk to him. There's no one close to him. And that's a big part of what the story explores. And you called out the parallels to the dance civil war earlier through the clothing of Stannis and Renly. And this is very much related to that of how power and rulership destroyed the bonds between people. Mm. We're seeing it within families and turn what should be love, what should be a pack, staying together into enemies. We're seeing that between Renly and Stannis, and we see it over and over again in the Targaryen stories. We see it even early on in Danny's story when her brother, who's yes. supposed to be her protector, ends up being her oppressor. I I really love that Daenerys comparison, especially because uh, we really followed some of those Danny parallels in the last book, right, for Catelyn. And now getting to see them change and mm. kind of transform as Stannis's mission also changes and be more aligned there. But also... It isn't that far different from Catelyn, right? Who, as we go along, slowly becomes, you know, desensitized and dissociative and farther away from the world and what's happening. Mm. I'm definitely appreciating those parallels as we go along the Catelyn and Danny parallels a lot more. Oh, absolutely. They're both, you know, traveling right now, right? Mm. Yeah. (sighs) Gotta embrace both of them as they also become Stannis parallels, you know? Gotta try to. Gotta try to. (sighs) Okay, the best line in the whole whole chapter in my... No, I'm just kidding. Maybe not the whole chapter. There's there's a lot of really great lines in here, but Renly enters, right? So the last line, Stannis has his kings have no friends, only subjects and enemies. And then Renly goes, and brothers! And he comes in and everyone's like applauding, (laughs) laugh track plays, and he's splendid. (laughs) He's in his green velvet doublet and satin. He's like, look under your chairs. I'm giving you all tea wow. His black hair is spilling out beneath his golden crown of roses. And the jade stag is at its front. Jagged chunks of black diamonds are studding his sword belt, as we mentioned, and a chain of gold and emeralds is looped around his neck. I would take back everything I said about Renly if he did give me the Winds of Winter. I would do it for Stannis, too. Okay, that's a lot. Wow. (laughs) Got a low price. Again, coming back to the colors of the Baratheon Brothers' clothing... It's interesting that neither of them are really sporting the classic, purely Baratheon colors anymore. And I think that the book series does a better job of being like, people wear other colors. You can't just only wear the same colors all the time. (laughs) You loser. (laughs) I mean, like, the the show does that too, right? Uh, Very well and telling characters' stories through color. But sometimes I think we we get caught caught up in this idea of characters in certain colors, but Cersei wears a lot of green, which, you know, I too would wear colors that bring out my eyes, but I have brown eyes, so it's actually not very exciting. Anyway, so neither of them are wearing just the purely classic, like, golden black. And unlike Robert, who had, like, everything going for him in his messaging, he could fight solely as a Baratheon. He fought as just with under those Baratheon banners and was able to rally people behind him. 
And interestingly, neither Stannis nor Renly on their own have the strength to be able to do that. They have to rely on the power of others as Stannis needs Melisandre's strength. And he's also very much seduced by her talk of power and at long last that appreciation that he craves. Whereas mm. for Renly, he needs the power of the Tyrells if he wants to rival the Lannisters. Right? So it's a little bit of that survival aspect again. But it it also stands interestingly in contrast to Rob's sigil, right? Because they're like, all right, so what are you doing here, Catelyn? She's like, oh, uh, my son's king. Rob's able to do it on his own. His lords are the one who chose him and crowned him. He is doing this campaign for the North under his own colors. He might have his own personal sigil, right? But it's still the stark colors, just as it was for Robert Baratheon, for whom he was named before him, right? And Rob's... Rob's campaign for the North and the Riverlands is very much also about survival, but not just for him, for these kingdoms as well, who have, you know, been suffering under this regime. Yeah. It's really hard, right? Because there are so many criticisms. I obviously want to keep aiming at Rob's campaign and what they choose to do. Uh, and Yeah, yeah. It's hard because it is not just about the Starks. Mm-hmm. You know I have issues with that, personally. <laughs> I agree. I mean, there's a lot of things uh, going on there. Yeah. And, and I do love that his sigil is the Starks, you know? Oh, I thought you were going to say it was that. just the wolf's head, and I was like, that's rude. That's like my second <laughs> offense of the episode. Round it up, Chloe is locked up. Third strike, I mean, she's out. I mean, you didn't technically Red make card. this offense. I just, I just laid it on you. Just you just imagined it? You're just like Stannis. You're out here I just projected it offenses. onto you. Okay, yeah, Stannis. that's right. That's so true. Ooh, oh you know, we've been really interested in which one of us drops the F-bomb more. We were so interested that Eliana put the poll up on Twitter to see and have you mm, all weigh in on yeah. it. But now I'm out here like, which one of us is Stannis and which one of us is Renly? Oh, I don't know. But I, I think don't I'm think it's either of us. I don't think either of us are it, like the No, one of us has to be. I mean, if you have no, to. It, no, neither of us have to be. Listen, the bread is cut in, oh, I guess three ways. One of us could be Robert. Who fucks more? Anyways. <laughs> of course, we juxtapose <laughs> Brienne carrying Renly's banner, right? With Melisandre and Stannis. I love this. On this reread, that stands out so hard. Yes, yes. Uh, it's that blue versus red, interestingly. Which are also the Tully colors, but also, that's like a that's like a thing, right? A meme on the internet thing. It's called red versus blue. Clearly, George <laughs> had a time machine and uh, was inspired by that. I that that's the only explanation I can give you. I mean, at that, I, you should that expand that, Aliana. It's family versus duty. That's what that oh. is. Blue versus red. Brienne is wow. Dewey. Mel well, I don't know. Whatever. Play with it. I don't know. Have fun. But it's no, just a thought, no, but... no one's got honor here. No one has honor. <laughs> That's why I didn't lead with honor, because get... honor's a horse. I love Brienne, but she does not look good in this chapter either. She's uh, simping for She's Renly. having a time of it in this chapter, and I do want to say, still love Brienne. You know, I know we've done a lot of, nope, we don't love Renly or Stannis still today, but Brienne's still good in my book. Still good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But 
I can't smell Sandra's neutral in this chapter. She hasn't done anything wrong. She's just chilling. She says she has like one line. Um, she's like water tribe, but the opposite as she heads out. Um, anyway, Stannis greets Renly curtly, and Renly corrects him with. Uh, Stannis greets Lord Renly curtly, and Renly corrects him King Renly, and they discuss their banners. Melisandre, you know. One of her few lines here pipes out to say Stannis has taken the heart of the Lord of Light for his sigil. Renly is amused and says that it will make battle much easier to distinguish their enemies. And Catelyn tries to call for peace between the parties once more, but Stannis, unsmiling, says, The Iron Throne is mine by rights. Others who deny that are my foes. And then, of course... <laughs> this is a very relatable passage, honestly, so I can't, I can't fault him this one. I know I sound like a Renly apologist because I agree with the things he says, but I don't like him. Yeah, he's a, he has good lines. The whole of the realm denies it, brother. Old men deny it with their death rattle. Unborn children deny it in their mother's wombs. They deny it in Dorne. They deny it on the wall. No one wants you for their king. Sorry. Too real. I love the sorry at the end. Sorry. He's like, not sorry. sorry about it. Hashtag. Not sorry. Not hashtag. sorry. <laughs> I will say, you, you know, part of, I think, what makes Renly's line so compelling in, in this chapter is it does very much work in dialogue with what happens in this book, right? This is the same book where Varys's riddle of power resides, or men believe it resides, is spoken, and Catelyn, Catelyn is also trying to explain this in this chapter. It's not just mm-hmm. Renly making the argument. Catelyn is saying, yeah, alright, and people believe in the power of my son. People have bestowed him with this responsibility. It's and not my just people like my 15-year-old son dinguses. more than Well, she definitely thinks that her 15-year-old son is more mature than these two. I don't know that she's wrong, so. I mean, yeah, and that's obvious, too, right? Like, later, she sizes him up against Robar, who's 21. Uh, She thinks that Rob can seriously contend with these idiots. Yeah. I mean, he lost his dad at an influential age, too. So, no excuses, everyone. Anyway. Stannis clenches his jaw, saying that he swore never to treat with Renly, while Renly wore his traitor's vow, and that he very much regrets coming here now, which <laughs> also a mood. And also, I, I get it. I get Stannis saying that, because not only is it, this whole exchange is very hurtful to him, but also to treat with Renly as a king is to then give his claim legitimacy, and that works against him. Yeah, that is kind of like the checkmate of this chapter it's a total like stale match here like it was never Mm -hmm. gonna happen i think that's the biggest part like neither of them were ever going to cave to one another and that becomes apparent as it goes on and it's exactly as you said they don't like each other they love each other but they hate each other and that doesn't allow for this progress to happen and they don't cave because that's i think very much what they're trying to tell us with that story again of during god's Mm -hmm. grief that's the legacy that they're stubborn even at the cost of everything. Yeah. And others. Many others. <sighs> yeah. They want it all, and in the end, they have a castle. They all want right. it all. Catelyn reminds them the Lannister armies are gathering at the Golden Tooth and beneath Casterly Rock. 
while they continue to fight. And no one's trying to stop them, except for her and her son. Renly says, Rob has won a few battles, but I'll win the war. The Lannisters can wait. I'm like, how are you going to do that? You've done literally nothing. You have won no battles. <laughs> Nada. Not shit. Not shit. And like, I, I know that's the point, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Stannis is like, finally, he's fed up. He's like, make your proposals or I'm leaving. And Renly's like, dismount, bend the knee, swear allegiance. And Stannis is like, what the fuck? Excuse me, what? What? What the fuck? And he like chokes back rage. He says, you're nothing but a younger brother and a thief and a usurper. And Renly reminds him, well, Robert was also a usurper, so I should be able to bear the shame easily. Catelyn interrupts them once more, right, with our, our great favorite brother line. Listen to yourselves. If you were sons of mine, I would bang your heads together and lock you in a bedchamber until... You remembered you were brothers. So Stannis and Catelyn are of similar ages, right? Uh, but, you know, she really does feel that much more mature than him as she tries to talk sense into both of these foolish men. I feel like Renly is, has a talent for dragging, I guess, Stannis down to his level. I mean, Stannis also is, like, very petty. But that's why I don't fight 19-year-olds. <laughs> right, I don't get into arguments with 19-year-olds, because not worth it. <laughs> I, too, am wiser. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> Stannis okay. says that Catelyn presumes too much, and that her son is no less a traitor than Renly, and that he says his day will come as well, and that pisses her off badly. And I'm just like, yeah, dude, like, this is what I mean. You don't go around... You don't go around insulting people's dead husbands to their face. You also don't go around just telling people i'm gonna come for your son to their mother's face like what the fuck she's a mama jesus you don't say that you don't just say that to people the lack of tact entirely like (laughs) holy shit it is like stannis does not have tact and that is literally one of his downfalls if he had a little bit of tact i might like him you know renly gets some good snipes in because of his little tiny bit of tact he has it's not a lot but uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Catelyn takes this poorly. She goes off because I would too. Understandably, my loin, through to my loin. But yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> she's like, Joffrey and Tommen are actually the heirs. By the way, you guys are just rebels, like dumb rebels. And Renly's like, Oh, Lady Catelyn's been busy. She hasn't seen your AIM away message, Stannis. <laughs> Relors whore XXX. And Stannis is like. Oh, worm, they're not heirs. They're incest babies, Catelyn. And Catelyn is, like, speechless. She's like, she thinks, this is a great line. I love this line. I love just even the bits of Cersei that are involved here. Because Catelyn thinks, would even Cersei be so mad? Catelyn was speechless. Which is crazy, because that also is foreshadowing for her not speaking ever again, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. It's not for. I just wanted to get my snipe in too. Uh, <laughs> oh well, I was like, yeah, Chloe, yeah, speechless. <laughs> <laughs> it does remind me, you know, Cersei doesn't really think of Catelyn often, which is surprising. She thinks of Ned being an idiot. She thinks of the she wolf Sansa and her blasted little sister, but she doesn't really think of Catelyn often. She thinks of her twice, and she actually thinks of her when they find Tywin dead. Which I think is a really interesting parallel to how Catelyn is going through her father's death, right? 
in Cersei's first chapter. Take the quarrel out of him. This is the king's hand. And my father, my lord father. Should I scream and tear my hair? They said Catelyn Stark had clawed her own face to bloody ribbons when the phrase slew her precious Rob. I mean, you have to almost appreciate that it's, as far as Cersei goes, that was almost respect for Catelyn, right? Mm-hmm. That she was like, should I just lose it? Because I'm gonna lose it if you motherfuckers don't, you know, get your shit together with my father, my fucking lord father, defender of the realm. And later, Cersei talks about killing Jon Snow, right? She's discussing sending people there to deal with this bastard of the watch. And this is interesting because she thinks that Catelyn totally was a mouse or she would have smothered this Jon Snow in his cradle. Instead, she's left the filthy task to me. Even though Catelyn's like, wow, Cersei's cray-cray, Catelyn understands Cersei's motives, right? Just as Cersei Uh kind of understands hers. Their universes unfold and rotate around this love they have for their children, whether it's toxic and an extension of power in Cersei's case, uh, let alone the only love she has left in her life, or Catelyn's chapters, right, as she loses this love bit by bit in these connections. Cersei's chapters and feasts just feel like such a juxtaposition for Catelyn, who just went through losing her father in these chapters. Absolutely. that That's a great point. You know, seeing Catelyn, uh, you know, what you've just said about them mourning their fathers, and we'll see that We'll see that a bit more in the upcoming chapters, but I love this um, line that you've pulled out here of where Cersei criticizes Catelyn for not having smothered Jon Snow in his cradle. Because, I mean, yeah, that is what Cersei would do because Cersei did do that, that as we discussed yeah. at the top of this uh, episode. So, <laughs> yep. She's yep. like, killing children, whatever. Fuck. Them uh, kids, book <laughs> them kids. That's that's Cersei. Uh, Renly also a little, also literally in Stannis. All these people, they literally they actually in Loras, probably gotten. To yeah. be fair, literally in Lancel and Loras's cases, am I right? That's uh, true, and it's not great. It's actually very no. problematic. Yeah. Well, Renly had read. Stannis's letter at Hornhill and says it took his breath away. Renly says, were it only true, Stannis would indeed be Robert's heir. And we're all like shaking everyone. We're like, it is true. We spent the whole first book on this. And this ticks Stannis off because he's asking, are you calling me a liar? And Cadlin's like, Robert could never have known or Cersei would have lost her head in an instant, which is true. (laughs) I love that Renly's like, if only this were true, because again, like you said, legitimacy. Renly refuses to comment or lend any legitimacy to Stannis. He is a good politician at that. You have to let him have that. And another great thing is that Catelyn is also a great politician because she actually immediately understands within like two paragraphs. She's like, huh, I get it now. I get it now. And within the next Catelyn chapter, even she understands what happened to Bran, right? So, yeah, all these men and people and disbelief for like a whole book over what's going on with the parentage of these kids and still can't figure it out. And Catelyn got it, 
Right. I, I think that's impressive. Lover or hater, that's that's fucking impressive. It's a she's a smart cookie. Uh, she put those pieces together right away, and I find Randall's influence here so interesting, especially with what we know about him in the future. Uh, and what we know about him with his past, how he treated Sam, right? Sam Tarly, as well as mm-hmm. in the future that he might join up with Aegon. And that he deflects and, you know, goes where the money goes. Randall hosting Renly, and then Tarly also being very boldly confident throughout this chapter. He's very confident, very free to speak about whatever he wants about to his king, about plans, about war, what Renly should be doing, should he kill Stannis or not. And I think that's also something interesting happening because Randall Tarly fought for House Targaryen during Robert's Rebellion. He defeated mm-hmm. Robert's forces in battle a couple times. Renly choosing him as like this mm-hmm. sinister older figure, this older male figure in his life, whether it's kind of a, a father figure or a brother figure to fill in for these roles of these brothers that are gone and father gone. Renly chooses him as, like, his right-hand war commander. Kind of that Roos feeling, in a way. Uh, But it kind of feels like a fuck you, Robert. Like, Tarly likes me. Why didn't he like you, Robert? I think uh, Randall Tarly was just following the Tyrells, and the Tyrells were following the Targaryens. But here the Tyrells have sworn to Renly. But, I mean, Randall does suck. He's I hate him. I hate him so much. Um... You know, I might, like, not care for Renly or Stannis, but I hate Randall Tarly. Um, But yeah, I I think that's interesting that he goes for Renly, and I think that speaks a little to what we might see of Randall Tarly and where he might pledge his allegiances later on, because it's not just, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about him as a Roose Bolton figure. I think Randall Tarly, for some reason, holds a lot of esteem among the other lords, even though he holds no esteem with me. <laughs> he should be trying to please me and cater to my interests. Um, my but... Song of Ice and Fire interests. <sighs> I, I yes. think that's right, though. So... I mean, uh, I would say, like, he he obviously is catering to whatever power he can get, and we see him move along, right? Like, oh, Tyrells want to go here. Go here instead. But I think... The I mean, other thing I've been thinking them. is, like, resources, right? Like, they have really large land and a lot of hunting grounds. I mean, their whole sigil is about hunting. Their whole thing is being the huntsman. Uh, and that's obviously also, like, a metaphor for the way he is in battle and blah, blah, blah. But, I, I, I mean, resources and food, I mean, it makes sense. He is a part of that ecosystem of the Reach. He's a very big part. And having his support and his war commander's support as one of the few... Being a loyalist, like he's one of the few loyalists that actually prevailed. Yeah, and I think that's part of why he's still he's held in such high esteem because he's supposed to be a very uh good commander, war person, and um yeah, I think he just follows he just follows what he's told to do by his liege lord, and I think that 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 might be significant, right? If he's going for this rebel lord now because his lord liege lord is doing so. I think we could see him intentionally choose to depart from them, right? Uh, to follow Aegon later on. I think that's likely. And I think that'll be interesting that he finally goes for what he believes in. Even though I don't 
really care about Randall Charlie's beliefs. <laughs> Whereas uh-huh. his son, Sam, I mean, like his son, Sam, is maybe like we're, we're going to see there's a little bit of similarities there where Sam's like, okay, interesting. Um, But what if I also chose my own ruler and made a different ruler? <laughs> yeah. That's a thought. And I then think he that's just rigs great. the whole election. I think that's a great. I can't wait to do Sam. Ah, yes. Yes. God, uh, fuck Randall Tarly. Have I said that lately? Fuck that guy. God. I hate him. I hate him so much. Well, Catalan asks Stannis why he didn't speak up about any of this, right? About, like, oh, the incest and how you had suspicions and, you know. And he responds, well, everyone would have thought I was being self-serving. And if Lord Aaron told Robert, maybe he would have listened. So Stannis is like, maybe someone will understand before I tell them. Bye. Good luck. Sure. Renly and Stannis then snark about this for a couple minutes, and Stannis is like, obviously Cersei poisoned Lord John. Which, no, that's not obviously true, as we all know. Catelyn then, though, takes this, and she puts the pieces together. She's like, interesting, because Liza accused the Queen of murdering John Aaron herself. And then later, she ended up laying the murder at Tyrion's feet. So I thought it was interesting that this gets snorted out. And unfortunately for Catelyn, she's starting to piece things together, as you said, right? And it's another it's another example of Catelyn's just about to make a breakthrough, then something happens. Like, the bell rings, or someone enters the room just before. Uh, and here, it's Stannis just disregarding it with, like, so what? If you step in a nest of snakes, does it matter which one bites you first? And you know what? It fucking does, okay? Turns out, it does matter here. Alright? And if everyone would shut up for two seconds and listen to Catelyn, she could have been like, hmm, it's interesting, because my sister was all like, she could be like, oh, but it's because, you know, the Lannisters were trying to take Eliza's kid, and Robert Aaron was going to be fostered with her, and Sansa could be like, what? No. No, I was going to foster Robert mm-hmm. Aaron, and everything could be cleared up, and everything would be, like, amazing, and they'd be like, whoa, what is going on? But no, that's not what happens, because then we wouldn't have this book. A book series. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that is interesting. I didn't think about that. I mean, these are the people to ask, right? Like, why didn't you small talk that one of, were you going to semi-adopt Robert Aaron? And it is kind of sad for Stannis. Like, I can see where this sucks for him in that aspect because he was that close to being the new brother. You know what I mean? He was that close to being Robert in his own eyes that he was going to have Robert Aaron's kid as a house guest and uh, a new alliance, right, with them. It, it is sad for him. It's like, yeah. I was so close to getting invited to the popular kids' table, is what Stannis is thinking. <sighs> it is sad for him. Yeah. I'm like, wow, it's just like that time in eighth grade when I was almost popular, but then it turns out they were all bullies. Oh. <sighs> well,. For Stannis, it's that they all died, so... Yeah, that's that's worse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that That's also sad. Well, Renly's sick of all this fun drama, though. And tells Stannis, you know what? I have more swords than you. He slides his hand into his cloak, and Stannis reaches for his sword, but then Renly only produces a peach, and asks Stannis, do you want a peach? <laughs> and he takes a bite, juice running from his mouth, where blood would run soon as well, I guess. <laughs> And Stannis doesn't want the fruit, though. Catelyn is annoyed as fuck, again. And I think everyone should have taken the peach. Because I like peaches. That's it. 
I'm like mildly allergic to them, but I will power through because I love peaches. I do love peaches. I do a lot. And a good peach the is really peaches. good. That's this chapter. I will also add not just teaches of peaches. What else is in the teach? Uh, what? What? Uh, uh anyways. What? But the other one I would put in is let's also add Steve Miller band, right? Like really love your peaches. Want to shake your tree? Yeah. Yeah, I don't that's what I want to add to our peach course. <gasps> the the Joker? Oh. I'm going to change your life, girl. I mean, I okay. guess I probably did already, but I'm going to do it again, girl. <laughs> Anyways. In many ways. In many ways. In many ways. Look, we've talked about the fucking peach. We've talked about this fucking peach. Many times. Asha and Carl, we probably talked about the peach. We talked about some articles about the peach. Uh, We've talked about the peach. We've talked about the blood orange. We've talked about the peach. We've talked about all the fruits. But you know who else has talked about the peach that we haven't talked about talking about the peach? George. George R.R. Martin talked about the peach. Whomst? He's the guy that directed the books that were based on the show. Oh, directed the books. I'll have to look into him. He says the peach represents pleasure. It's tasting the juices of life. Stannis is a martial man concerned with his duty, right? That that blue versus red, duty being red. And with that peach, Renly says, family, smell the roses. Because Stannis is always concerned with duty and honor and what he should be doing and never stops to taste the fruit. Renly wants him to taste the fruit, but it's lost. George also adds he had hoped the TV show could adapt that scene, you know, that he wrote because of the TV show. But they didn't. Which is just one of many disappointments to lay on the ground. It is. It is. And as you said, we've talked about peaches many times. We're going to link again in this uh in the notes for this episode. Fat Walda's our good friend Fat Valda's post about peaches from a few years ago with great thoughts about it, as well as another thread from a deleted user about the peaches uh, as summer, joy, youth, extravagance, loss, and concealing malice. Both of those will be linked in the notes. I do think that the latter, the latter we've definitely talked about. I know that. And I think we've mentioned Fat Valda's as yeah. well, but I know we've talked about the latter because it's honestly, they're both so good. They cover everything you need. We don't have to talk about it. Yep. Life's great. Nope. Life's great. Nope. Of course, Renly does not appreciate uh, Stannis' rejection. He's like, how could you do this to me? It's my last attempt. A man should never refuse to taste a peach, Renly said as he tossed the stone away. He may never get the chance again. (laughs) Life is short, Stannis. Remember what the Starks say. Winter is coming. He wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. Idiot. Life is short, Stannis. Shorter than you think, Renly. (sighs) Listen, I broke my phone this weekend after making fun of one of my best friends for breaking their phone all weekend. So what I'm saying is, Renly, don't do it, because your phone about to get broke, okay? Okay? (laughs) Chill the fuck out. You should have fucking shut your mouth before Karma and Stannis came to fuck up your day, Renly. Oh my God. Uh, Renly tells Stannis he hasn't ever liked him 
What is this? John chapters? <laughs> Nobody likes you, Stannis. Hip. Sorry, no one wants you as our king. But also including him. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was the whole chapter. That was him. Yeah. But Renly does say he's his blood, right? He's like, look, we're brothers. I don't want to kill you. And then he gifts him Storm's End, as Robert once had gifted to him. And Stannis is like, it's not yours to give. It's mine. Not true, technically, but, you know, technically. Stannis says that he deserves it, right? And Renly's like, he sighs, and he's like, Brienne, what am I to do with this brother of mine? He refuses my peach, my castle, my wedding to my beautiful wife. And Stannis is like, oh, your mummer's farce of a wedding? Because Renly was scheming to make Marjorie Roberts queen, he reveals. I do have to say, Stannis is an LGBTQIA king. Because he doesn't discriminate. He didn't say it was a mummer's farce because Renly wanted to fuck people of his gender. He said it was a mummer's farce because he wanted to make Marjorie Roberts queen. (laughs) Which makes no sense to me. Like, how does that make it a farce? (laughs) Right. That's what I don't get. I'm like, I don't really get that logic. Um, Also, you know what I realize is very rude? Renly should have offered peaches to Brienne and to Melisandre and to Catelyn also. Everyone should have been offered a peach. Um, That is a little rude. I think you're right. Also, he has enough. It was also rude of him to be like, I'm going to gift you Storm's End. You know, talking about people with no tact. That was actually tactless, but I think he was intentionally trolling. So maybe Mm -hmm. it was all, it all worked out the way he wanted it to. There's a line here that I think is kind of interesting in terms of the way that it's phrased, right? He's like, yeah, you're going scheming to make the girl Robert's queen, but what does it matter? The boar got Robert and I got Marjorie. And it reminds uh, me a little of this other line from the construction of a line that Robert says, right, about Rhaegar with, I killed him, Ned, I drove the spike right through that black armor into his black heart and he died at my feet. They made up songs about it, yet somehow he still won. He has Lyanna now. And I have her. And Man, I don't know. So something good. about the, the construction and what it's about feels so similar, right? The the boar mm-hmm. also being dead, having Robert, that, that death, right? Robert is what Stannis and Renly both desire. The same way that Robert desires, not exactly the same way that Robert desires Lyanna, but we talked about this during Davos's chapters, where they project everything onto Lyanna or where Robert projects everything onto Lyanna and and ha- has made this that his pedestal that he's chasing after. That's what Robert is for both Renly and Stannis. And the boar is Robert now. And he has Marjorie, the consolation prize, the woman that he was going to wed to Robert, just as Robert got Cersei as his consolation prize. Now he's stuck with his lover's sister. What a bummer. And, you know, it is very similarly constructed, too, to some of the things Stannis says later in his plot. So Mm. I I do love how George has kind of framed them with these regretful, remorseful Baratheon looks out the window, sadly, kind of things going on here. But the language there is perfect. And Renly, of course, doesn't get sad because Renly is wonderful. Renly gives some (laughs) asshole retorts. He's like, well, I'm going to have a son pretty soon. We're like, okay. Unlike you, Stannis. And then he crosses the line, which, okay, hold on. First, before he crosses the line to talk shit about Shireen, I just want to say, Stannis has a son that night. Oh, you know? interesting. Stannis has his very first say. bastard that night. Yeah. 
That wow. that that baby's life is also short short lived. Yep, short lived. <laughs> well, Runley mm. crosses over and he starts to talk shit about the rumors that got put out by Tyrion and Cersei, and he's like. Shireen, Selyse, Patchface, you know, like, I would understand if I let my fool fuck my wife because I didn't want to. And I'm like, that doesn't help your case here, Renly. Uh, and this is the moment, though, that his fate is sealed, yeah, right? Because right. Stannis, I'm like, wow, that's weird. That's like a, that's like you being like, I too would send my fool to fuck my wife. Hmm. Anyways. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Stannis is just done with this shit here. Like, you don't you don't talk shit about my only child. I don't have much, but I do have Shireen. Right. Okay. Hey, I didn't say it. Stannis thought it. Okay. <laughs> and then, just for now, just for now, just and then later now. on, he's like, well, I don't know. I don't really care about that kid anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stannis's goth heel turn. Uh, he yanks out his Azora High Sparkle wand next, and it like gleams in the sun. Brienne immediately moves in front of Renly and her sword's in hand. She's like, put up your sword, Stannis. Put up your steel. As she should. She's doing her job, dude. Yeah. I will say, at least Catelyn knew how to move move on from death at first, you know, until everyone died. But she doesn't know they're not all dead. Anyways, that's what differentiates her from these two. Um, And from Robert. For someone who fancies himself so composed and serious, it actually is really tacky of Stannis to just, like, bust out his sword like this, right? Especially if he doesn't truly wish to use it. I think he wanted to be like, alright, you guys, look, I'm chosen. I got a cool shiny sword. But the action and Brienne's reaction, I think, makes sense, right? Because recall from Catelyn's own chapters before Rob is crowned and has experienced war in his father's death in A Game of Thrones, Catelyn 3. And this is meant to highlight Rob's immaturity. That's the whole point. He pulls out his live steel sword upon hearing that Bran may have been pushed from the tower. Then Roderick scolds him, saying, put that away. The Lannisters are a hundred leagues away. Never draw your sword unless you mean to use it. How many times must I tell you, foolish boy? And that's what Stannis is doing here. Does he really mean to skewer his brother here and now? No. He needs <sighs> to do it later. With the shadow baby. <laughs> I mean, it, it feels... There's a lot here that's like... You could see where it breaks. You could see where the line yeah. was crossed. And you could see where the hurt was too deep that he could never go back. And as we'll talk about, it all revolves around, you know, Sir Courtney Penrose, really. I mean, it's it's the ruiner for both of their campaigns. Catelyn, though, during all this, yeah. she's just sitting there like the This Is Fine Dog comic meme, where he's just sitting there with the coffee cup and flames in the background and his eyes are all big. She's just sitting there like, this is fine. Cersei Lannister's laughing herself breathless, Catelyn thought wearily. Stannis pointed his shining sword at his brother. I am not without mercy. Thundered he who was notoriously without mercy. Nor do I wish to sully Lightbringer with a brother's blood for the sake of the mother who bore us both. I will give you this night to rethink your folly, Renly. Strike your banners and come to me before dawn, and I will grant you Storm's End and your old seat on the council, and even... Name you my heir until a son is born to me. Otherwise, I shall destroy you! These are honestly way better terms than what Rob offered Cersei. 
I mean, this is honestly really lenient. Like, he's like, <laughs> that's actually true. You're my heir. You're like, right. when I read this, I really thought about the parallel to Rob's terms in the last chapters because this is so lenient. Mm. This is really generous. This is so generous. He's like, if you come to me before dawn, I'll grant you Storm's End and your old seat. So, like, he's willing to put up and be with his brother in the same room, but he hates him. He's, like, willing enough to... This is a peace for Stannis, I will say. Like, this is his version of making yeah. a peace. Your heir until a son's born to me? Newsflash, you're not getting a son. That's pretty uh, good. That's... I mean, strike, it's You good. could kill him. I mean, look, if I was Renly, you could poison the motherfucker, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've been playing a lot of CK3 yeah, I, lately, sorry. Crusader Kings 3 lately. And I think that shows, that that's, comes back to what you were saying, right? They may not like each other, but they love each other. Like, to offer all that, I think, is loving. Until it might the not I'll seem destroy it. you thing. Well, yeah, until that part. But, like, it might not seem it, but as you're saying, these are generous terms. And, I mean, yeah, if he's the heir, that means Renly could kill him. That's a that's a sign of trust. And everything that's going on here has been, like, such a huge breach of trust between these two brothers. But this is, I think, this is an olive branch. Yeah. As oh, olive branchy as Stannis can be. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I do love this line of Cersei Lannister's laughing herself breathless. <laughs> Catelyn thought really, because you know what? She's right. That did happen. That actually happened. I mean, that literally happens. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Literally. That she literally laughs. happens. <laughs> she sits in Dude, that she's room got, She's got everyone's number. Again, you know, I said you may not like Catelyn or, you know, hate her, love her, whatever. At least she's smart. But you may not love Cersei. You may hate her whatever but the woman's got style okay she's fucking funny <laughs> i'd be laughing too <sighs> and i mean these two are imbeciles that's that's the yeah. biggest point of this chapter that's that is the big point and i mean again catlin catlin called it she's like called it of oh so this is how ned reacted and then she called it again of this is how robert reacted she's calling it again here of this is how Cersei's reacting she knows everyone she's like oh fuck uh, if anyway, only. But she could not have called this thing that was going to happen in front of her. This one, she's surprised. She's like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on and why am I here? Holy shit. Yeah. <sighs> and Renly, instead of accepting these generous terms, he laughs, right? Like, he pulls a Cersei here. He laughs hysterically and tells him to look to the southern banners across the way. Stannis is like, will those bolts of cloth make you king? And he's like, no, their swords will make me king, dipshit. Tyrell, Rowan, Tarly, Karen, Tarth, Penrose, Fosway, Kai, Mullendor, Estermont, Selmy, Hightower, Oakheart, Crane, Caswell, Blackbar, Morrigan, Beesbury, Shermer, Dunn, Footley, even your wives' brothers and the uncles of House Florent are supporting me. Yeah, dude. It's actually yeah. a good speech. And it, again, I, I, part of what makes it strong is how well it goes with Varys' riddle. And, I mean, this is the least of his power, as he says. He has 100,000 swords and pikes and spears behind him, ready to destroy Stannis's 5,000 codfish lords, onion knights, cell swords, which, I will say, that feels unfair and it is an interesting depiction because that is one fair part of Stannis here, that his people are people. 
right? Like you're reading Codfish Lords and Onion Knights, where, of course, Renly's group is a little more, I don't know, prom group. I digress. This is a, I don't know, it's probably an effective gardening, but the only ruler of House Selmy right now in the story is Barristan's great nephew, Lord Arston. That's the only named ruler. That is, of course, who Barristan mimics in name when he's with Danny. And that's interesting, right? That Renly, in the last chapter, had asked Catelyn, uh, you know, in that vulnerable confidence kind of role, do you guys have Selmy? Implying that uh, Selmy is what makes the king, right? Like we discussed, like Kristen Cole. Here, he names House Selmy as a supporter, which it's probably Arston supporting him, right? As a uh, marsh lord in the Reach, a marcher lord. So in one like very doyalist hand, George is probably just gardening here and adding a house from the Stormlands to Renly's repertoire. But on the other hand, I really do like to think Renly might be peacocking here a little bit because Stannis, Stannis likely doesn't have Barristan, right? As we know, we know where Barristan is. We know in the story where he's coming back, but Stannis likely doesn't know where Barristan is or have a clue who has him. If Renly has him, that could put a bit of fear in him. So like, why not say how sell me when you announce all the houses supporting you from both the Stormlands and the Reach? Why not lie? It's a resume. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, at least uh, Renly showed up and did the interview. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he tried to put forth some qualifications. Are they true? I don't know. But um, I I think that's a great point regarding naming House Selmy and invoking invoking, uh, that legend, even though Barristan's not there. Because, you know, no matter how much, like, Ned respected Barristan... Um, and that's part of why we put Barristan after Ned. Uh, there are similarities between them and their story. Uh, Barristan is also in some ways quite like Catelyn. You know, he 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 still thinks that the old rules, like, mm-hmm. matter. Even though clearly they don't, and that's why he doesn't have a job anymore. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the point when it all comes crashing down, right? Because that's never supposed to happen to a Kingsguard. Like, that, that was the tip-off, dude. But he does hold to that tradition, which is why, again, he would have never gone to Renly. And that's also why he would have never gone to Rob's cause, no matter how much he respected Ned. That makes no sense uh, for Barristan's character. And it makes sense to assume that maybe he would go to Stannis after being let go from Lannister Omploy. But A, as we've discussed, Stannis declared too late. And also, in a way, I mean, Barristan doesn't know that the children are bastards, so to him, this is this would still be treason, especially if he believes that the children are still Baratheon heirs, right? That that still doesn't work for him. So the only other honorable path left to him is to follow that like last vestige of legitimacy by going to another one, that original line of the Targaryens, and that's how we end up seeing him with Daenerys, mm-hmm. right? And... You know, Catelyn is painted often, as we've discussed, um, as a traditionalist, and in some ways that's true, right? As as you pointed out in terms of her views on gender roles last chapter. And also, as we've discussed, she's less of super adhering to tra- tradition so much as pragmatism. Yes. But, you know, she does have an adherence to social roles and the political roles of Westeros, but her way of sticking to those rules are different from Barristan's own code and interpretation. And I think that comes forward really beautifully in 
this chapter, when Rob Stark's rebellion is juxtaposed against both Stannis and Renly's causes, because, you know, it's a cause that Catelyn supports not just because it's her son's, but I'm sure that plays a big part of it, so please do not threaten him to <laughs> her face. But it's because she also sees that there is honor and justice in this new regime where her son was chosen by these lords to to be a king because they felt that the old one was failing them. And I think that makes sense in Catelyn's mind because that is very much Hoster's legacy as well, right? That is, to an extent, what her marriage is born out of, supporting Robert's rebellion and later on Robert Baratheon's crown, who, despite being a failure... Neither of his brothers live up to being able to wear that crown. And, like, we see how foolish Stannis looks with no one wanting him to be king. You know, what good is legitimacy if you don't have the will of the people, if you don't have that mandate? It's something that Rob has in his cause. And then also with Renly, right? Uh, what good are the numbers when your regime has no substance and no real aims? Like, when there is no action compared to the spilled blood of the Northerners and the Riverlands, the people who, like, are fighting for their freedom, their lives, because they were denied justice so many times and they're suffering. Like, this chapter really, I think, besides setting up the tragedy of the Baratheon brothers, sharpens the case for the Northerners' war. Yeah. And I think that not only that, but also it sharpens it not just now, but later. I really, truly think yeah, that true. Stannis and Jon's chapters in A Dance with Dragons are kind of this carried on now that I think on that interesting mm. yeah it, yeah that is interesting because you know he does get along pretty decently with John he's like I hate Ned but he's like I kind of like this proto Ned but he doesn't know it <laughs> <laughs> oh whoa <Ooh-woo. laughs> I don't care how seasoned a warrior you think you are Stannis that host of yours won't survive the first charge of my vanguard. We shall see, brother. Some of the light seemed to go out of the world when Stannis slid his sword back into its scabbard. Come the dawn, we shall see. I hope your new god's a merciful one, brother. Stannis snorted and galloped away, disdainful. The red priestess lingered a moment behind. Look to your own sins, Lord Renly, she said as she wheeled her horse around. Water tribe. <laughs> it's that blood name. bending. That's what, she, that's what she did right there. Even though it's the opposite element, I don't care. <laughs> there is something so sad to me, though, about that line of uh, where the light seems to go out of the world when Stannis reshoots his sword. Uh, because it, it it does come to those brothers preparing for battle. And, you know, like, you know, it, it shows Stannis has resolved to fight with his brother and Renly thinks little of it. And I, I find that there is something sad, that light leaking out of the world as the two brothers, who are basically each other's only surviving, like, immediate family, just becoming enemies. And that be sad. Ooh-woo. It's the opposite of the Starks, right? Who are longing to be together yes. and reign together and rule together. It's the exact opposite of all of them right now living in darkness and like just praying they can come back together after the last chapter. I mean, this being sandwiched in between 
Arya and Sansa, this chapter, its location in the story, that feels relevant, right? Showing Arya and Sansa's captivity and suffering while these brothers just choose this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, part of why they're choosing it is because they're following. They couldn't let go of Robert. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I- I'm just going to say that, like, coming back to Catelyn, like, she didn't get to do that, right? If she just kept holding on to, like, the people that she was supposed to be promised or go to, right? Mm-hmm. The way that Robert did, the way that Renly and Stannis do with Robert's love. Stan- like, Catelyn would still be like, I was supposed to get Brandon, but mm-hmm. all I got was him. And right. she would have lost that on a lot. She had she accepted, learned to move on, and lived a fulfilling life, which apparently many of the men in this book series cannot do. Not just the Baratheon brothers, also Littlefinger. <laughs> and, and and she does it over and over again, right? She has to do, do it when Ned dies, and then finally she it, it, it only breaks when she loses everything, like all of her children, but she loses so much more than either, like any of them. And I think that shows a lot of strength on her part. Yeah. And seeing how relevant this is with those brothers and what they chose and Catalan's role into it, it makes me think that, you know, George will explore those kind of tense moments, right? Those tensions mm. between the Stark siblings. When we get back to them, when oh, they come yes. back together, as yes. we get to Tiwao and Adas and the rest of the books, you know, all 15 of <laughs> the them. The rest of the books. The rest of them. A, a brunch. What, what, what did you say? A bunch of brunches. Yeah, a bunch of brunches or whatever the fuck I a said. A brunch yeah. of a bunch. Yeah. A brunch of a bunches. Whatever. Whatever the book is going to fucking be called. All 15 Wheel of Time Game of Thrones books. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and I do think, like, they will, the Starks will have those tensions, right? Uh Mm-hmm. In the midst of Rob's death, when you have this great, great sibling that dies, this is something I think that you bring up a lot, uh, but when you have this great sibling that dies and where do you go? How do you move on with your people from there? How do you be the best for the realm you live in? And I think that being explored by the Starks in full through many POVs will be really fulfilling in the wake of exploring this through Kat's POV. Yeah. It will be. That's a great point. Catelyn and Lord Renly return to his camp where thousands await him. Hundreds of thousands. It could be. No, I'm just kidding. But thousands. They're not there yet. And only a few people await her. 25 good men, in fact, Eliana. Oh, interesting. That's different. <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> you know, you'd think that Renly would be like a little shaken in front of Cat, but instead. He calls the event amusing and wonders, wonder where I can get a sword like that, like Stannis's. He says then that, well, makes no matter, Loras will make me a gift of it after the battle. I just have to say, and I am being super serious, I'm not even being facetious, that Renly is much more like Robert than people think. He makes several, and I will continue to point them out, but several little jabs about Loris throughout this chapter and this is one of them that Loris is going to make him a gift of a red sword after the battle which to the the common person could just mean Loris is going to kill Stannis and tear his heart out and give me his sword but also I'm like so Loris is going to give you his red sword huh and it's not the only euphemism Renly uses in this chapter right we get to the praying in a minute 
Renly looks for love, right? And just like Robert, and I definitely see this as what Robert was like at the beginning of the rebellion, flirting, fucking, fighting, Mm -hmm. making speeches, laughing, jesting, jeering, feasting, being a slutty McSlut slut. And obviously, yes, we don't know much more about Renly in this moment besides his monogamy here with Loris. We don't get an expansion because mm-hmm. he dies. We don't really get to know what his love life would have been before young Loris. Uh, but I do mm-hmm. think it's very much like Robert at his height in the rebellion, you know? Pure charisma. We see that he has appetites like Robert, not just what mm-hmm. uh, throughout these chapters. You know, we saw it in the previous chapter with the dinners, the way that yes. he holds these parties and, and the melees. And with the peach, right? Mm-hmm. And how he says life is short and to, you know, indulge. He's absolutely like Robert in that philosophy. Catelyn tells him that, well, Renly, you know, Stannis is the lawful heir. And Renly says, while he lives, though, it's a fool's (laughs) law. And asks, why the oldest son and not the better fitted? He says the crown would suit him, as it never suited Robert, and would never suit Stannis. He's all like... I have it in me to be a great king, strong, yet generous, clever, just, diligent, loyal to my friends, and terrible to my enemies, yet capable of forgiveness, patient. Humble, Catelyn supplied. (laughs) You must allow a king some flaws, my lady. Catelyn felt very tired. It had all been for nothing. The Baratheon brothers would drown each other in blood, while her own son faced the Lannisters alone. Nothing she could say or do would stop it. Man, ain't that true. Rip. Rip. (sighs) She then thinks it's time to go home to Riverrun to close her father's eyes. She thinks she may be a poor envoy, but she is a good mourner. Gotta respect that. Mm -hmm. When Renly learned his brother had assaulted Storm's End, he decides to split his forces that night. Part of his foot, he leaves at Bitterbridge with his queen, along with food, wagons, carts, and animals. And animals. What the fuck was that? He himself leads his knights and free riders east. Cat thinks Renly's so much like Robert in that. But Robert had always had Ned there, right, to temper him with caution. Ned would have told Robert to bring his force to encircle Stannis and besiege the besiegers, which is a little bit kind of like what Stannis learns and does uh, with the free folk, right? In the forest. Oh, interesting. Yes. Renly chose to skip that, yes. right, in order to come to grips with his brother quickly, outdistancing his food and supply lines with mules and oxen. He must, he must battle soon or starve. I love to look at that like Renly was mm. willing to sacrifice food. He's like, I can live without food. I did it once. This is also... Interesting. That's a good point. I I didn't think about it, right? That he is like, I I don't need food and supply. Or he's making just a killer mistake, you know? Because you do. (laughs) And the fact that he must battle soon or starve comes up is exactly where Stannis lands himself in the end of A Dance with Dragons, right? It's interesting how fast Renly makes all these decisions to break his army apart quickly for for Bitterbridge. It's the exact moment Renly and Stannis kind of both lost all over their hatred of each other and Robert and of course over Courtney Penrose. You could tell Stannis really shook Renly 
not right away when he's chatting with Cap, but in this aftermath. And I imagine this goes back to childhood, like we talked about earlier. I can't imagine the way, and especially during this meeting, the way Stannis speaks to Renly and rages at him, right? Uh, I, I can imagine that probably happened in his childhood, too. And I can't imagine it was fun for Renly and not fun for him to hear again. It is interesting that he thinks so highly of himself compared to Robert and Stannis, right? But also that he understands Robert's not a great king. And Stannis probably won't be a great king. And But also at that same point, Renly doesn't understand being a king. And the contracts he has to honor, right? For not only southern lords, but the people that live in their lands. Those are There's more of them in all the realms than there are lords. Absolutely. And... That's that's why he's, his campaign feels so empty. As you said, he doesn't understand any of those contracts or what it really means or what ruling means. It's not just having... It's not just being likable. It's yeah. ruling. Making the and Robert Robert choices. Didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of making no choices, right? You know, by not fighting, he's not forced to make any choices right now. He's biding his time. And, you know, speaking of those Blackfires again, we do see Aegon making making moves, but I wonder if we're going to see him making similar moves as Renly or something, right? You know, as a person who's now holding Storm's End. Um, and I wonder if we're going to see some of that same hot-headed rashness um, in terms of rushing and the way that Renly does in splitting his, his camp and also, maybe he gives a similar speech. And we do see uh, Varys give it on his behalf of this, like, why not me? I'm qualified, in theory, rationale, and not really knowing what ruling truly does entail. And being the one who will steal the forces that were that might have backed Danny instead. Ah. Can't wait for that parlay. Bring it to Bitterbridge. <laughs> yeah, and... In the book, A Bunch of Brunches. A Bunch of Brunches. Well, Cat sends Hal Mullen to tend to the horses and accompanies Renly back to the pavilion where he speaks to his men, explaining that Stannis wants blood and he wants to give him blood. Not his blood, his own blood. And Stannis won't be appeased. Of course, the men all have differing opinions. Mathis Rowan doesn't think they should attack. He thinks Courtney Penrose is seasoned and will give Stannis a hell of a time and waste his time, basically, and they can go take King's Landing, which is honestly, again, the right choice. <laughs> That's the only choice you would have mm -hmm. won. But Randall thinks Stannis is a threat. Left unblooded, he'll gain power while they waste theirs against the Lannisters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they could have gone to Mathis, Mathis Rowan's idea. And, you know, you'd think that as an experienced veteran that is so highly regarded by other lords... War hero Randall Tarly would be smarter and like better than this, but he puts bravado like in front each time. And I I think we discussed this before during the Davos chapters, but Stannis also did miss his chance to take King's Landing. Okay. So does Renly. Um but also Renly dies, so he's gonna miss his chance anyway. Anyways, um I there Randall Tarly's suggestion and what Renly's interested in is putting pride over results, the flash. Because I'm also just like, Renly, if you're so sure that no one wants to support Stannis because he's a duty head, like, then what does it matter if he's left unblooded and you just mm -hmm. go 
take King's Landing. He's interested in glory. We'll discuss that in a bit. And that's something that's part of why, like, the Lannisters are able to win, like, this, this like, act, like, some of these first acts of, uh, earlier acts of A Song of Ice and Fire. I don't think what Tywin did was right, but it's effective for them in this first portion. Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't pay off later on, as we've discussed. But Tywin doesn't give a shit about pride in that way, <laughs> ironically, no. because lions and pride. He gives a shit about pride in some other ways, but not he doesn't care about honor or glory, and that's why he's able to take out his enemy in the Starks um, through the Red Wedding. Yeah. Whereas Rob is very concerned with honor. Not so much glory, but honor, and that is part of what gives him the opening to be vulnerable during the Red Wedding mm-hmm. by choosing to take Jane Westerling as a bride instead of honoring uh, his vow to the phrase and uh, or even as opposed to when Catelyn's like why couldn't he have like fallen into Marjorie Tyrell's arms <laughs> that would have been great yeah but I mean imagine the resources they're all God. lacking in these yeah I know right she's just like fuck <laughs> so much food well <sighs> the others agree and Renly then looks pleased and decides yes good we shall fight Catelyn speaks up. She hopes to go back to River Run, but they're like, no, not going to happen. And she stiffens. She's like, I hoped to make a peace and I will not help you make war. Renly says they'll survive without her 25 good men. And he'd like her to watch the battle, not take part in it. And she's like, this isn't a fucking basketball game. Okay, I've already watched The Whispering Wood. I don't need more death and war and shit in my life. She was an envoy. She wishes to leave. And Renly's like, well, you'll leave a wiser envoy and take my message of what befalls rebels to your son, Rob. Isn't he a rebel? <laughs> I know, right? And that's well, what Catelyn's been trying to tell them the whole chapter. What's about to befall a rebel, <laughs> She's been trying Renly. to tell them. It's also funny because he's like, then you'll leave a wiser envoy. And I'm pretty sure Catelyn Sark is like, I'm definitely stupider for having watched that conversation. <laughs> She's gonna be wiser when she watches um, him die, shit. Yeah, that's true. She will be. That's gonna be intense. Um, it's fucked up that Renly makes her stay, and I understand, like, yeah, for two seconds you're, she's like, so I'm a hostage, and that's fucked up. But also, I'm gonna be real. I'm gonna be, I'm going to be pragmatic. It's because George needed a mm-hmm. POV here. It is. Do it for the plot. Far too <laughs> early for Brienne to enter, right? I I think yeah. this is a, a perfect point. Someone had to. And for what it's worth, it, it's fast moving from here, right? It, it's all action and it, yeah. it does heighten. You know, I think that's what makes the next chapter so good because it's very heightened at the end. Renly delegates. Mm-hmm. Mathis will lead the center of the main battle. Bryce shall take the left. Lord Eastermont, the reserve. Renly will take the right. Sir Guyard and John Fossway argue over who should lead the vanguard, saying it should be one of the king's guard, but Randall Tarley's like, I was leading vanguards when you all were shitting yourselves. So they all argue, and Renly silences them and says, The greatest glory by rights belongs to the greatest knight here. Sir Loris, barely out of puberty. <laughs> Loris kneels and asks him to grant a knight to ride beside him with his banner as well. Renly assigns Brienne, who's like, no, I don't want to leave your side. I'm your sworn shield. He reminds her, you're one of seven, and four of your fellows will be in the fight. 
It's interesting that, uh, uh, you know, like, the emphasis here is all about glory and not strategy, not winning. It really shows that they think this is a fucking game. And, yeah, that that lack of strategy, it, it really comes through when put into the context of Catelyn thinking earlier, like, that was pretty dumb that Renly split his forces, huh? He really, like, put himself into a corner, so... Yeah, and it's so interesting they fought so hard, the the men did, to be like, you you gotta kill Stannis. No, you gotta go to King's Landing, because it's like, Stannis has 5,000 men. Renly has 100,000. Stannis has 5% of Renly's army. Stannis have 10% of Renly's split army. He's not gonna be able to kill you guys without witchcraft at this point, you know? Yeah. Like, that feels very obvious, like, the... Dusex Machina here is is purposeful because there was no way that Renly could have died. He had everything you needed to take the throne from Cersei and Joffrey. Honestly, and interestingly, when you put it like that, if he had done it, if he had just left and taken King's he would have won. He and he would have been out of range, right? Clearly, mm-hmm. like it sounds like. Well, actually, I don't know what the ranges of Shadow Babies, but <laughs> I know that they had to. They had to go under storm's end but that's because it was magic so i don't know i don't know i mean the seed is strong you know how strong is stannis's seed though strong enough to kill renly the usurper eliana and that's true brienne kneels begging renly to let her arm him for battle catelyn heard someone snigger behind her she loves him poor thing she thought sadly She'd play his squire just to touch him and never care how great a fool they think her. Poor Brienne. No one's ever taught her yet. Never risk it all like that for a man. <sighs> Brienne, don't be like my best friend on July 4th this year, whom I hope never listens to this episode. Anyways, Renly grants Brienne the permission to address him, dismissing everyone else, and he's like, I have to get my beauty sleep. Catelyn steps forward, though, requesting something, too. She's like, can I go pray at the Sept in the last village we passed? Renly asks Sir Robar to accompany her, as well as bring her back by dawn. She advises him he should do some praying, too, for wisdom. Renly laughs, and he's like, fine, Sir Loras, please stay and help me pray. Look again, I'm just saying, help me pray? You know, Tyrion actually makes a point in Tyrion 3 that comes up about this. Remind me to tell the High Septon... If I could pray with my cock, I'd be much more religious. <sighs> yes, yes. Uh, it's all so obvious, you know? It's like, oh, interesting. Praying. All right. Mm. On your knees. Um. <clears throat> anyway. So, switching gears for a second. He is more of a background character in this chapter, but I will save all the characters here. Loris is the one who will end up sharing the most in common with Catelyn. And in terms of, like, they both end up losing their lovers, and for Loris, who knows? Maybe even his family, because I really, really think that Loris's fate is going to be quite different from the show. Like, real different. And the bits that we see of Loris mourning, right? We, we see it a little bit. He's got those great lines. But he... He's obviously holding a lot of it in, just as Catelyn does, partially because of her duty. Loras ends up shouldered with duty, too, of course, when he becomes a king's guard. But, like, you know, Catelyn can't ex- 
afford to be explicit in her mourning, right? Uh, because then she's going to seem even weaker and be judged for that as a woman. And Loris obviously cannot because of the social norms around being a gay man in Westeros. So, yeah, absolutely. And his grief and his pain in the next chapter, it, it's awful. Yeah. It, it's so sad. I, you yeah. do feel for him. Especially because he's so young and we've and I all feel, been I feel young and lost too. to love, right? I mean, we've all been young. Not that way. <laughs> but oh, yeah, well. it's it's different, you know, in that way. Because then you aren't forced to get over it in the same way. It, it It's like a what could have been in a very different way. But yeah, I mean, and also because maybe not Shadow Baby, but I've, I've definitely had yeah. a really close friend pass away in some horrible circumstances that were like freak and it's just like yeah. as a young person who doesn't know their life too you know and a young person who's yeah. like sworn to a life of celibacy not just here but then does it again because what else is he gonna fucking do you True. know he think i mean that trauma how do you move on from that and then after killing someone because of it it's just a lot and then as we're about to get into robar absolutely uh, poor poor robar he was just trying to help oh yeah he was. Yeah, but absolutely. I mean, as you said, we're going to see that grief and he carries it on. We see him still carrying it in Jamie's chapters when we discussed it. And yeah, he thinks that it was Brienne's fault and he probably shoulders some of that blame. He's like, what if it were me in there instead? Would it have happened? And it probably still would have happened because it, uh, it was witchcraft, but... Not Brienne. Yes. They plan to armor by first light. Renly promises to give Stannis a dawn he shall not soon forget, which I've heard that before. Catelyn leaves hmm. with Robar, one of Bronn's own sons, handsome, kind of rugged, attorney warrior. I'm like, wait a second, is this real milf hours going on? Anyway. Yeah, I am Robar. wondering that. I'm just like, all right, Catelyn, okay, okay. Rugged. I'm like, handsome, she's rugged, like, mm. you know who she is. She's like, first men, first men, <laughs> she's into that. Well... Second man, here, second first man, <laughs> Robar and Cat talk That's about true. their long journeys, and he explains he's a second son. His father and his father's heir owe Liza fealty, but second sons must find glory where he can, and tourneys grow tiresome. Yes. And, you know, there's some great callback to the prologue, we'll come back to this in a bit, but to the prologue of A Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We'll come back to that someday, too, to be honest. Someday. Someday. I want to point out, we talked a little bit about one of my favorite POVs earlier. Brandon. Bran Stark. And speaking of second sons, and of course Stannis, we've talked a lot about as a second son today. But speaking of second sons making their own place, this reminds me of Bran. Maybe this is, you know, end Game of Thrones here, but King Bran forging his own place in the south and the idea of Sansa taking the north, you know, the idea of uh, owing different fealties and loyalties and finding glory where you can. It feels really fitting, especially as we're reminded in this chapter of Ned, who was not expected to be Lord of Winterfell as a second son and was not expected to marry Catelyn, but the shoe, you know, died and then fit. He ended up doing so, especially because after this, Catelyn describes Robar as young, no older than one in 20, which that's when she and Ned got married. That's a great point about Ned um, and tying it back together with him as well. And I mean, that's the case, right, with Stannis, too. Um, mm -hmm. 
that's that's a great that's a great way of tying it all together and yeah i mean robar nothing nothing doesn't paint out for him but (laughs) yeah no kingship for him only death yep yep (sighs) rip rip r nope that doesn't work um (laughs) anyway (laughs) so yeah you, you were talking about his age um and how young Kat and Ned were when they had to be married. And, you know, she thinks, like, he could not be older than one in 20, Catelyn thought, of an age with his king. But her king, her Rob, had more wisdom at 15 than this youth had ever learned. Or so she prayed. In Catelyn's small corner of the camp, Shad was slicing carrots into a kettle. Hal Mullen was dicing with three of his Winterfell men, and Lucas Blackwood sat sharpening his dagger. Lady Stark, Lucas said when he saw her. Mullen says it is to be battle at dawn. Hal has the truth of it, she answered. And a loose tongue as well, it would seem. Do we fight or flee? We pray, Lucas. We pray. <laughs> I hope you're somewhere oh, different. Praying. <laughs> you know, for all those prayers, it seems a different God answers. Yeah. For whom the bell tolls and the god answers. Yeah, right. Be careful what you pray for. (laughs) Gotta be real specific in those asks. Right? Uh, You know, coming back to those prologues and and gods, right? Whether we're talking about old gods. Some old god stuff going on there in the Game of Thrones prologue. But Robar being contrasted with Rob, which I mean, like, you know, look at the names, right? It's right there. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I I think, really similar to how people contrast Waymar with Join. So it's interesting. Waymar with John. So it's interesting to see each of these Royce, Royce boys, Royce <laughs> boys being contrasted with a uh, different Starkish boys. And Cat praying right before this supposed battle that's going to happen between Stannis and Renly. Um, it reminds me also of Sansa praying when Stannis was the king who was threatening uh, King's Landing. And you know, Cat's an unwilling. Uh, guest here right now <clears throat> just as Sansa was I mean she she was a hostage Sansa was a hostage Kat was just like I want to go now and he's like no 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 come come watch and she's like no I want to go and he's like no no, no no there's more parties she's like I want a party but anyways so similarities I mean I would argue she is a hostage like it, it's yeah, hostage kinda. you can't promise you can keep someone safe if yeah. you're like uh, talk about being shitty to people, keeping someone in a battle. Like, you can't argue yeah. you're keeping someone safe when they have a safe escape out of the battle under a peace banner. Uh, and obviously the battle doesn't ensue, so it's fine-ish. But it is kind of shitty. It is kind of a shitty, pompous move in the face of, you know, the same as your whole entire campaign. You could have saved people from dying, dude. But I digress. Is it a violation of guest? Is it a violation of guest right? Yeah, I mean, there was salt in all that fucking food she ate the other day. There was lots of <laughs> oh, food. Oh, you're gonna say in this exchange. She, she ate so much food. Okay, she ate so much food, and he's gonna sit here and yeah. keep her hostage. That's shitty. But the Sansa thing's a perfect yeah. point, because Sansa's the next chapter. Uh, it, it's sandwiched so well ah. for that. So, really great point, Eliana. You know, the next chapter's gonna be real exciting, so let's let's leave some things for that. Yeah, absolutely. Next chapter is going to be a gas, if you will. We're going to really have a blast. It's going to be 
it's going to be a blast. But if you want to read other things from us, like on social media, where we post polls now, we post many polls on social media, you can follow us over at Girls Gone Canon at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter. Or if you want to send us an email or a little message, you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, I would like to flag that the poll currently says, by a large amount, um, less than the ratio between Renly's camp and Stannis' camp, <laughs> but like a smaller ratio, like difference, but by like a th- four to one or something, or three to one difference. People say that Chloe drops more F-bombs than I do. I don't know. I guess I could see it, brother. And if you... I, I could see it. Um, and if you want to hear those F-bombs, be sure to subscribe to us <laughs> on the many different platforms that we are on. <laughs> Such as Audible, Podbean, Amazon Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, mm, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, o- Acast... Um, there's a lot of other ones, and I, not that was a good try on my part. I'm gonna give myself a pat on the back, just like Renly does. See, you fucked up because you started off. You started off of your order. You really messed yourself up, and that's where I'm gonna get you with my shadow baby. You know, that's where my shadow baby comes in. Uh, Well, if you don't want to listen to us there, you can go over to Patreon.com/slash/GirlsGoneCanon, where. We have a RSS feed that is so private. It is a little fancy island for you. Island of Patreon for you. $5 and up patrons also get special episodes every month. Every other month, it's about his dark materials. Every other month, it is about A Song of Ice and Fire. And this month will be about A Song of Ice and Fire. We also have a blast hosting brunch slash happy hour Every month with our friends at Discord, this month it is going to be on the 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Yes. So be sure to come hang. Hope to see you there. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We'll see you next week. But you know who won't see us? Renly won't see us next week. Why? Because he's dead. What? How could you just spoil the next chapter like that? What the fuck? It's a reread. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.